and welcome to Wanda's Picks, a black arts and cultural program of the African Sisters Media Network. And that was Zion Trinity singing opening prayer to the African deity, Eshu Legba, a deity that lets us know that we always have choices. We are never victims. So we should take a, take a moment and pause and just sort of reflect a little bit before we think that or I guess um, before we become discouraged and, and think that there are no other options. And we are waiting for one of our guests, a guest who is no stranger to the airwaves, uh, Zakia Cape Hart Bowlings. And she has a new book, her first book, all by herself. It's um, it's called Ghana on My Mind. And we are really excited and Happy for her, and she has a reading tomorrow at 10 a.m. Pacific time, and so she's going to share a little bit with us this morning. So while we wait for her to join us, we are going to uh, look for something in our repertoire uh, to play, because I have no chit-chat this morning. So let's see what we might be able to find. Um, I know I love uh, McLeet and Quinn. They're uh, they're one of they're they're one of my favorite um, performers. But um, I don't know. I've got one from McLeet that I didn't. I don't know. It's called "We Are Alive." I was like, "Whoa! How how apropos, right?" <laughs> A year after um, this pandemic was officially announced, we are some of us are still here, and many of us are not here. So I shave for those that we've lost. But, yeah, I shave for those who of us who made it, too. So here is We Are Alive by McLeet Hadaro.
As long as we've got some life in our bones, blood flowing through our veins, we have opportunity. All is well, literally. As long as we're alive, we can work it out. Once we're not alive, kind of difficult. Can't work it out on this plane, that's for sure. So our guest um, is joining us shortly. She told me. <laughs> so I'm not certain if I should play another song or what. So I guess since we're like feeling McLeet right at the moment, we are going to, um, or maybe I could just read uh, Zakia's bio 
while uh, we wait for her to join us. Have you ever um, been in your email and it says, something's not right? (laughs) And you wonder like, okay, what do I do now? Well, that's what my, one of my computers is telling me, something's not right. What do we do? So I've got a song by uh, McLee called Sole Sole, which is sunny. I think it means sunny, sunny, sole. I think about City Sole in Haiti. Definitely need to um, put the pressure on uh, the Haitian government to um, to observe, um, you know, human rights and decency for uh, its citizenry because, wow, so much so much corruption and and death um, presently there from the current administration. Ah, so um, anyway, we've got Sole Sole, and we've got Walls, and both of them are kind of short while we wait for our sister to join us, because my computer said something is not right, <laughs> which means I cannot read her bio just yet, and I am just filling the space with words, and I hope you are enjoying them, or the sound of my voice if you're not enjoying the words, because you want to hear Zakia, Cape Heart Bowling's read from her new book. And let's see, Sole Sole. I guess we'll play like Sole Sole. Sole 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 going to waste another moment in um, filling the air. Good morning, Zakia. How are you? Good morning, Wanda. I am blessed <laughs> and highly favored. I'm a magnet of miracles. Therefore, Whoa. I am fabulous. Yeah, you sure are. You got a book out and you're having a reading. Your first book event tomorrow in a virtual one, but a Book party, nonetheless, from 10 to 12. Uh, why don't you tell our audience how they can join you in your book party? Yes. So good morning, audience. So good to be <laughs> here with all of you. Um, I want to invite you all to my book lunch and birthday celebration tomorrow. And it will be beginning at 10 o'clock and you can come in on the meeting ID at 718-3247-8944. The passcode is the number 6PP, that's two small P's, K, 
capital J, the number seven, a small r. So should I repeat that, Wanda? Mm. Let me let me tell you what okay, I've this got. Is on, this is on Zoom. Yes, it's a it's a Zoom uh, meeting. Tomorrow morning, Saturday, March the thirteenth at ten a.m. in the morning. And I just want to <laughs> let the audience know that. So we will have not just folks from the Bay Area, but from all over the country and all over the world. I've had confirmation from. Um, from uh, West Africa already, from Ghana, Nigeria, the Gambia, and so we're looking at lots of folks. It's an, it'll be an international book launch and birthday celebration. So the title of my, um, my book is Ghana on My Mind, Poetic Reflections. On journeying to the motherland. Right. Well, let me read your bio, and um, and we'll make sure that we uh, repeat the um, those um, important numbers so people don't miss the international reading um, tomorrow morning. It's going to be really exciting. Uh, 10 a.m. Pacific time. So, Sakia E.E. Capehart is a writer, published poet, storyteller, performance artist, visual artist, and radio producer and host. Zakia's poetry is published in many anthologies. Her radio shows are aired on KPFA in Berkeley, California. She combines her artistic skills and medical background, producing shows to educate and heal the community. Zakia has been granted funds several times from the Akhenati Foundation to write and perform productions to address community awareness in Oakland. In 2018, Zakia traveled to Ghana, West Africa, with the West Oakland to West Africa Poetry Exchange, also known as Wo to Wa. While in Ghana, the group participated in a poetry slam with Ghanaian poets. Born in North Carolina, her family migrated to New York City when she was a child. Zakia currently resides with her husband, Bryant, in Oakland, California. And you probably know a little bit of this because Zakia and Bryant Bowling, they're famous, and they've been on our show quite a few times. Bryant is a wonderful composer and writer and scholar, and he's going to be joining Zakia, of course, today (laughs) on the air at some point because they're going to perform with us. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. So I, wanted to, so I was with you in 2018. You and Mama Makeda had this great room, and I was downstairs. You all upstairs, and I visited you, and it was all nice and cozy in there. <laughs> and, and Absolutely. Yeah. So, so I wanted to ask you to tell us about your book. I know you've got a lot in there. It's not just poetry, but the stories. And, wow, yeah, it just sounds so wonderful. Yes, it's actually a, it's a, a beautiful birth. I have to say, uh, after birthing my children, this I didn't know would be another birth, and it absolutely was. Um, a beautiful journey, a lot of work, but I was so up for it, and I'm so thankful for it. Mm-hmm. So this uh, book, 
uh, I want to tell the audience and, and, and Wanda, uh, you also, although you might have heard my story before. <laughs> yes, so I did not plan on writing a book. Um, I wanted my first book to be actually uh, poetry over the decades because I've been writing for, I don't know, maybe six decades. Um, and so that it was my idea of my first book. But when I returned from the motherland, uh, for two or three weeks, all my dreams, I had dreams, beautiful dreams about my experiences in Ghana, you know, about seeing the Guyanian people, you know, feeling the water, you know, sitting by the ocean side. Dreams were just, I just couldn't wait to go to bed to have some more dreams. And so after about three weeks, the dreams stopped. And I said to my husband, Brian, I was like, honey, my dreams, they're no more. And I was like, wait a minute. I didn't write any of this. I didn't write it. Why didn't I write? So I prayed to the creator to please let me remember, let me revisit the dreams, whatever I had to do to get these dreams on down on paper. Um, and so the writing began. And it was so interesting because, I would sit at my desk holding my pen, and it was as if my words were just being written mysteriously. But, you know, it was, it was such a beautiful and easy and fulfilling journey. And I didn't know that it would be poems and stories. I, I was just writing, and it turned out to be poems and stories because um, I look at myself first as a poet, a writer and a writer of poetry, although I've written other things. Um, and I'm just so enthralled, so thankful that this is a book of uh, poems and uh, stories and short stories, of course. Um, so in the book, I've written about the, the various um, places that we visited in Ghana, uh, the market, uh, about going to the enslavement dungeons, uh, about my first taste of fresh coconut water, and uh, about the, the young man that got the coconut for me. Uh, we went to the village of Stilts and um, saw where our ancestors had their last bath. And so those are some of the things that's in the book. Um, uh, yeah, and, and much more. So the book is a, is such a blessing, and there's a lovely picture of me on the cover, and on the back of the cov the back cover, there's a, another small picture of me with the Guyanian flag. Uh, this book, my first book, I had decided years ago that I would dedicate to my mother. So this is this book is dedicated to my mother. I have a beautiful dedication to her in the beginning, and. Um, so yeah, so that's a, a little bit about you know my the process <laughs> and, and my book. Yeah. So why don't you um, first uh, share your dedication to your mother? Tell us your mother's name and and share that dedication. And then secondly, um, share uh, share one of the stories. And then um, you know whatever you might have wanted to share of the poetry. Thank you, Wanda. My pleasure. So this is my dedication to my mother, Polly Lee Smallwood Capehart, 
for giving me the ingredients of life through her songs and affirmations. Below is a poem entitled Reflections, which I wrote for my dearly beloved mother, who has been the strength and backbone for my family. Mother, the family loves and salutes you. Reflections. Mother is my mirror, as she has always been. I hold that mirror proudly and give thanks for the blessing because I still receive valuable lessons that enhances my life beautifully from a powerful, gentle, brilliant woman who always has a proverb for the challenges in life, a song to soften the mysteries of life, a smile to encourage my journey through life. So that was uh, my dedication to my mom. Thank you. So I will share now. um, hmm. Uh, So, Brian, would you like to uh, play something with me now? Sure. Okay, so we're going to, at this time, so my husband, I want to let uh, everyone know that my husband um, is an accomplished pianist. Okay, I'm going to let, you want to introduce yourself, honey? Well, no, you can. <laughs> That's what I'm going to say. Well, I, well, I did introduce something? him before. I, I, I told the audience about him. Yes, um, that's, that's, that's true. You did. So well, he, good morning. Uh, peace and love, Wanda. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm good, <laughs> Brian. How are you? I'm blessed and highly favored. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here this morning with my wife to uh, promote her book, Gone on My Mind. You know, this has been a, a work of love, and it's been a, a, a definitely um, a challenge for us to to get this this book published. And now that it is published, uh, we're so excited about it. It is actually is a good opportunity for people who are interested in traveling to Ghana to read this book because they get firsthand information on how the people are, the food, how the customs are. And, and one thing I always hear about Ghana is that the people are so beautiful and so friendly. So uh, I can't wait to go myself, and I'm just uh, I'm just uh, elated that I'm here to support my wife uh, with her book Ghana on my mind. So with that, um, we're going to uh, start off with uh, my poem um, Ghana, Oh Ghana. This is the first poem that I wrote for the book. And Bryant has uh, composed a song uh, to compliment. And, and your song, honey, I'll let you announce the name of your song. It's called Praise to the Warrior King. Okay.
uh, about Ghana and the Ashanti people and the language, the Akan language there. And um, I would like to greet our Ghanaian listening audience with the word say and the uh, and the response is mihoye, which when you greet people in Ghana, you can say that when you're in Ashanti land. Uh, what to say, and they say back to you, mahoye, which means how are you, and I hope you're fine. You know. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is um, is that where you all um, plan on settling in Ashanti land? Well, we're planning to go to Ghana. We're not sure where, what part of the region of Ghana we're going to actually settle in. We're looking at the upper Volta region because that's, I heard that's very beautiful up in the mountains, and also possibly near Cape, uh, uh, the Cape Coast Castle area, possibly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, uh, first of all, we need to get there and just kind of just peruse the whole entire country. Our goal is actually to travel around the entire country, and to promote the book and to um, share with uh, young African Ghanaians why African Americans are choosing to return home to Ghana. When I was in Kenya, I met a 10-year-old Kenyan boy who he asked, he said, where are you from? I said, I'm from America. He said, no, you're not. I said, why not? He said, no, but white people in America. I said, no, well, what's on that? It's, it's 13 million of us there in America. And remember Michael Jackson? That's when Michael Jackson was popular. I said, well, Michael Jackson's from America. And he said, oh, okay, okay. So a lot of people don't know where we are, who we are, while, while we plan to come to uh, Ghana and Africa, and why, um, why we feel so connected to them as a lost uh, uh, son or daughter from the motherland, you know? Mm-hmm. Ah. Wow, so he didn't even know that we were here, like there were black people in America. Because all he saw on TV was from America was white people from America, you know? Mm-hmm. When that was back uh, several years ago, now it might be a little more different now that the Internet and their things are more more uh, exposed now. So, But the point is, is that, you know, it's important that we go back and, and, and learn from the African people. There's so much that they can teach us and that we can teach them. So it's a, it's a culture exchange when we go back. It's not like we're going back to dominate and control and, and manipulate. It's not only that time at all. It's about us sharing our knowledge and our resources with what they have. Mm-hmm. Right, right, yeah. Wow, that's excellent. Yeah, well, I knew, I knew it was a, a while back, but I mean, just like to not even exist in in, in the uh, in the consciousness of our people, you know, like the descendants, like we're descendants and their descendants, it's, you know, it's kind of like wow, that's it's kind of like makes you stop and pause and think about how pervasive um, you know whiteness is and and how cut off we become. Um, then and even now, but not as much because you know we're able to communicate. And then when now because we're able to communicate because of technology, it, you know we're a little closer. And then when things happen, like what happened with George Floyd last year, and that was like a worldwide kind of movement. It, it you know it was a tragedy, but it kind of brings us together. Yes, absolutely. Hmm. 
Yes, like the reggae artist uh, Tony Rubble says, everything is in divine order. <laughs> Mm-hmm. True. I believe that. Yeah. Well, okay. So we don't take take too much time from the um, the next uh, artist. We right. we jump right on in to um, our next song. Yeah, fish away, fish away. Right. It's Bryant's song and my poem, my story. Excuse me, is Guyanian fishing village. Whenever a boat would come in, 
the people on the shore would gather around and pull the boat out of the water. Their rhythm and timing were amazingly in sync. It was astonishing to watch. When the nets were pulled from the boat and dropped on the shore, they were bursting with hundreds of fish. The boats were constantly arriving. The villagers were unrelenting in assisting one another. The children played and worked alongside the adults. There was jovial conversation and laughter and so much love and respect. Watching them inspired me beyond my expectations. After frolicking along the beach shore, we walked back to join the other poets for lunch. I smiled, reflecting on my lovely day. I was so smitten by the experience that I would not have minded spending the day on the beach just savoring the seafood. Then I submerged myself into the ocean and enjoyed jumping the waves. Fish away, fish away, that bright and sunny day. Fish away, fish away, that's what the fishermen say. And that's what the fishermen say. Oh, that was beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> wow, Thank that is you. it's so amazing um you know that that you've written all this original music uh Brian to go with your lovely wife's <clears throat> work. I mean, what a collaboration. Like, oh my gosh, like you've got a book and you've got an album too. <laughs> <laughs> That's like really kind of cool. <laughs> It's really a, a blessing for us to be a uh, man and wife performing uh, troop together. Uh, the name of our group is the To Be New Cultural Gatherers. And we mm-hmm. call ourselves To Be New because we want people to be new in their way of thinking and their way of living their lives by looking at life as each day is a new day to live and to enjoy. So we promote mm-hmm. that in our theme of our uh, title of our, uh, our, our group, To Me New Cultural Gatherings. And also one I want to mention to your listening audience, if they're interested in purchasing the book, the book is now available on Amazon, Amazon Books. Yeah, we, we want them to wait until a Saturday, though. And the reason is because uh, I have an opportunity to be a bestseller. And if everyone for the first week beginning on Saturday uh, buy the book on Amazon, then that counts towards the number that I need to have a bestseller. So, yes, I invite you all to please purchase the book. Come, come to, we're going to have a little um, uh, sh- sharing uh, how to collectively uh, buy the book on Saturday. So maybe if we have like 100 or 200 people in the audience, 
that everyone buys the book and immediately I become a bestseller. So that is my prayer, and I thank you for considering buying my book. <laughs> How much is the book? It's uh, my book is fourteen ninety nine. And the name of the book again is Ghana on My Mind. All you have to do is Google Ghana on My Mind, and you'll see it come up uh, on Amazon Books. Yes, Ghana on My Mind, poetic um, reflections on journeying to the motherland. Okay. And then tomorrow again, um, the um, give the uh, um, the 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 two numbers I'm like I can't remember the name of the mm-hmm. first one but it's yeah it's the meeting ID and the passcode meeting uh-huh. ID right exactly yeah I got the passcode part yeah <laughs> so, okay so, give it so one more time tomorrow before you will, before you leave sure mm-hmm. tomorrow we will be on Zoom and the Zoom uh, meeting ID is seven one eight three two four seven eight nine four four and the passcode is the number six, PP, that's two small P's, a capital J, the number seven, and a small R. So I want to let everyone know that you can also find this information uh, on Facebook, on my page, um, Zakia G-E, Cape Heart Bowling. So I will spell all of that, Z A K. I Y Y A H G E initials Cape Heart C A P E H A R T hyphen bowling B O L L I N G. Also, you can find it on my husband's uh, Facebook page. Uh, that, that's that's too page. much. Too, too much. Too information. much. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, so yeah, um, you can definitely yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then Brian, I wanted you to give a plug for your your singers um, and songwriters showcase that you do every month. Yeah, great. Thank you, Martha, for mentioning that. Yeah, so we have uh, turned that sing, uh, Bay. It's called the Bay Area Singers Showcase, and we're mm-hmm. actually doing it every week now, every Sunday from three thirty oh, to five thirty, okay. and. Um, you can go up. I usually put it up on my uh, website, uh, on Facebook, Brian Bowling, or Mr. B the, uh, or Mr. B the Singing Bard. That's another Facebook page I have, Mr. B the Singing Bard. So you can check those two pages. And I uh, co-host this event with uh, a beautiful singer out of Sacramento. Her name is Sabrina, Sabrina the Songstress. So we co-host this, this event every week. And we have some wonderful singers that join us. And if you're a singer and like to come out and showcase your talent with us, we welcome you to do so because there's room for other singers to join in. Thank you. So one, I just want to, I want to say one more thing, if I could, and that's uh, very brief. I want to just uh, invite uh, poets to come out on Saturday because we're looking at having an open mic. So bring a poem. Okay. All right, super. Well, thank you both so much for joining us to celebrate uh, Zakia's um, new book, first book, and uh, and hopefully many more to come. And happy birthday as well. Thank you so much, Wanda. And thank you so much for this opportunity this morning. I am so thankful and appreciative. And thank you again, oh, Wanda. Thank you again, Mrs. Bryant. Thank you again for having us on. 
And it's important for us to remember that a tree without its roots cannot grow. A people without the true history of a past can never be free. Thank you. Mm, yeah, wonderful. I say. <laughs> you all take good care. Have a good rest of the morning and day. Thank you. Thank you, Wanda. And you too. Have a beautiful uh, day. All right, you're Bye-bye. welcome. Peace and blessings. Bye. Peace and blessings. Bye. Bye. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, uh, Teen, for um for letting us have a little more time. <laughs> I know about that life. (laughs) Uh, Yes, you do. (laughs) Yes, you do. Um, And you're so gracious. Um, I was um, looking at your website. I'm like, oh my goodness, I need I need to hire you. So we're gonna have to talk when I get offline. I'm like, oh yes, I need your services. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know you did this, and like until I just clicked on the link, and I'm like, ooh. Oh, really? Oh my goodness. Okay. I gotta I gotta talk to Teen about like, Yeah. That's why that's why I'm a multidisciplinary creative soul. You certainly are. And I am just so loving, you know, um your divine coloring book. Mm. It is just, oh my goodness, it's so, so beautiful. Um mm. you know, we're talking about roots, right? And mm-hmm. of course, you know, you know, the roots take us you know, to the divine, you know, um, if you're the right, you know, if you're sort of channeling the right energy. Um, <laughs> so let me, let me tell the audience a little bit about you. Well, Christine or Teen, Teen Joy, um, how do you pronounce your last name, um, your name before your sure. last name? <laughs> Amagan. <laughs> Amagan Ferrer um, mm-hmm. is a multidisciplinary creative soul from San Francisco, the creatress. Behind Eyes Opened, um, mm-hmm. EO, and then um, MVMNT, and what does that mean? M-V-M-N-T. Movement. Movement with no vowels. <laughs> oh, it's already, it's already in the It's already in the EO before it. <laughs> oh, that's pretty cool. I like that. <laughs> That's that's a creative way of doing it. You take the E and the O and you put it in the beginning, you know, parenthetical movement mm-hmm. without the vowels. That's cool. I have to meditate on that for a minute another time. <laughs> uh, media design creator, author, and designer of Divine Coloring Book, as we already mentioned. Teen is a cultural and arts practitioner, uh, Philippine, Haitian, and Afro-Brazilian folkloric music and dance. By day, she has been empowering youth through movement arts for over a decade. By night, she is a freelance designer and media producer. Her passion and pursuits include spirituality, folklore, cultural storytelling, dance, design, and chai tea. Of course. (laughs) She is also a member of (laughs) Parangal Dance Company. So... I know you you were taken off and you were I I don't remember where you went. Where where did you just travel to and from? <laughs> well, uh actually it was last year now since or maybe it was the year before oh. last year. No, it was last year. <laughs> oh, I thought of, uh, well, maybe when we were talking about? about you said you No, no, when we when you I learned about your book <clears throat> from your uncle, um Kevin, my friend. And yes. I thought you were going leaving the country. Oh, you weren't leaving the country when you when you weren't available. 
until no, now. Because no. you said I'm back yes. now, and I thought you were, okay. No, no, I just want to go to uh, Southern California to go meet my goddaughter for the first time. Um, she's mm. born, like, in uh, November, so that's why I went down there. <laughs> she's five months or Okay. Home. Five months now? I don't even know, but that's where I went. <laughs> okay. Oh, how lovely. Congratulations, Godmother. Yes. <laughs> I told them she has to call me Ninang, which in Tagalog means Godmother. <laughs> Ninang mm, nice, Teen. Nice. <laughs> mm, hmm. Lovely, lovely. Yeah. So so tell us about um, the genesis of, of the Divine Coloring Book. Um, you could just sort of work your whole still because it's so beautifully written, <laughs> and and as you do that, you can talk about your travels and your you know your dance, and because it's all connected. Mm, yes, yeah. So the divine is a multicultural, um, hundred-page hardcover coloring book, um, not just for children, but for people of all ages, and inspired by folklore and spirituality from the Philippines, Haiti, and Brazil. And there's 13 divinities from each culture that are represented. And there's also folklore and symbolism that is in the book with poetry, uh, inspirational quotes, mindful activities for children. Um, it's most definitely featuring the poetry of Enya, Enya Afe Isis Adowale of All Her Words and my dear friend Amy Amparo, and there's also Haitian songs that were created by one of my, te- my Haitian teachers and mentors, Danielle Brave Breville. Um, so it's a 40-page book full of illustrations. So I do a lot of things so I can write and I can design, uh, but the one thing I can't do is draw. So <laughs> I've had to, uh, I hired about 17 different artists, that are that have collaborated with me on this project, um, Andre Ora, Gabrielle uh, Tesfe, Fermina Armstrong, Salima Sawai, Grace Bio, Raana Daria, um, Zachary Present, Stephen Hamilton, Cece Capiro, Nikila Badua, um, Wisdom Thyme, DJ Paista, Ubimaya, Missy Uloa, Rodney Sannon, and Lele Frazier. <laughs> So there's a lot of people um, that are have helped me to make this happen. Um, I also made sure that because, so basically the coloring book, it started, um, the idea came about about three years ago when I was teaching a summer camp. And I usually do creative movement that's inspired by Um, folklore and spirituality or the elements of nature because that's found throughout various folklore and spirituality through dances you know everything is generally inspired by nature the energy the ashe that's in everything and uh, in one of my dance classes with the kids for example we try to do I help them to create movement inspired by water um, or movement that's inspired by the air and have them move and so I thought that after they were doing movement that they needed something, a physical object for them to be inspired by. And I was searching through the Internet trying to find, like, illustrations, maybe black and white, of, like, the divinities because that's what each place represents. Um, and from Haiti, Brazil, or the Philippines, and I couldn't find any. So I decided, you know, what, whatever, I can do this. I can make my own um, so I would just use Photoshop to create them. And that was kind of how it started. I wanted them to be able to color, and then I would 
do the definition, like write a little definition of each of the loa in Haiti, um, in Vodou, that's what you call spirit and ancestor, or the orishas, you know, in spirituality of Condomble. Um, in, in the Philippines, there's a lot of different names because depending on the different tribes that are there, uh, but generally it's called diwatat. And um, I just give a different description of each one and hope that this would then help them to like embody the movement and then they could color, you know? And then I thought, you know what, I'm going to make a coloring book one day. <laughs> and, and that came sooner than later, obviously, because I had been dwelling on it and praying on it. And the thing is, it's, it's really all about like, you have to truly want to invest in yourself and take action on it, you know? And a couple of years ago, there was this artist that I had met when I went on a cultural exchange trip to the Philippines. I loved her work because it just involved spirituality, and that was Salima. And I said, if I really believe in this, I have to put my money where my mouth is. So that's when I gave her, you know, the first payment after, and I was like, I want you to be a part of this. And then I gave it to her, and that's what said it. And um, and even more so after that with my vision, I made sure that I was talking to my advisors, my mentors, and my cultural bearers that have um, that have inspired me throughout the years because this book is also very much about my spiritual walk. You know, I was raised a Pentecostal Christian, and then it just changed into this thing when I started to do dance and folklore and SS State in college when I was introduced to Haitian folkloric dance with Vodou and then um, um, Afro-Brazilian Candomblé spirituality through Afro-Brazilian dance. And then I realized that the drumming, that the song and the music, to me, it's just all the same energy because I would cry and I would feel it and I would move so strongly and, and, and I didn't feel that there was a different, it's just practice and honor differently in different places, according to different people and to different tribes, but all is still divine and, and we are divine and we are all still spirit nonetheless. And this is what has gotten me through everything in life, through my joys, through my struggles, through challenges, through me being me and even talking to you and being in this moment today, um, it's been everything. And, you know, obviously we've all been through a lot of things during COVID and challenges. Um, but like, I have just been through like this spiritual self-reflection and expansion during this time. And basically I remember at the beginning of last year, I was like, yo, I really want to do this campaign so I can raise money for my coloring book. And, and I was like, but I don't have time because I was teaching all the time, you know, and trying to design work all the time. And then COVID hit, the pandemic hit, and it's like, boom, you cannot work anymore. And spirit, I really felt spirit strongly telling me, okay, so you said that you didn't have time. Now you have time. What are you going to do? And I said, okay, my deadline is by the end of the year. I'm going to make it happen. So that's exactly what I did during that whole time from, I think it was, when did this all start? Like from March and I designed it. I made it happen. I collaborated with people. I had, like, my whole community of kids and families behind me, my friends. Like, everybody supporting it went hard on that media stuff. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and by the end of December, you know, here it is. And I've sold over, um, man, I think close to 1,000 copies now um, of oh the goodness. coloring book the digital and wow. the book version itself, you know, mm -hmm. and, and I, and it, you know, 
it just really has changed me and everything that I have learned and all the energy and everything that I've learned from the spiritual, from all these spiritual walks and these cultures that have defined who I am is in this book, you know, and, mm-hmm. and the book is beautiful to be meant for a lot of people have been hitting me up saying, I teen, like the book is too pretty to color in. <laughs> and and right. I was yeah, like, I know. Me, but... <laughs> um... Yeah, let me let me read let me read this review because you got four stars everywhere. Yeah, Judy Judy writes on January 11th. Listen, you need this PDF and the hard color hardcover coloring book. The hardcover is just too gorgeous to even color it. It doesn't feel right. These are exclamation points, right? So definitely purchase the PDF as well so that you can sleep better at night knowing you didn't desecrate such beauty with a smiling face and exclamation point. I'm just astounded by the beauty, love, and heart that went into this creation. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, so the uh, I, I noticed that you have a sale on for the download for um, nineteen ninety nine. How much is the um, uh, and it looks like can the you, you can just down yeah the hardcover. How much is that? Yeah. The hardcover is thirty four ninety nine, and you can get it uh, through my website. Um, but it, it's uh, being sold on Book Baby. You can also get it on Amazon. Um, but right now, it says that it's out of stock, and and so, um, but 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 you could still get it, you know, and and pay for it there if if that's what you prefer. It's just to be real, to be real, I get more money from getting it directly from the publisher <laughs> instead of from mm-hmm. Amazon. So. Right. So but, you said um, Book Baby is where where people should get it, or your website? If if it's from yeah, your website, e- website, what is your either website? one? Either one. My website goes directly to Book Baby, so okay. you can go to my link tree because my link tree actually is easier and it has all of those things on it. So mm-hmm. uh, my link tree is easy to remember. It's l i n k t r dot e e slash teen joy t i n e j o y. Again, it's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash Teen Joy, T-I-N-E-J-O-Y, and that should have all my links. So if you want the download, you can get the download. If you want the hardcover book, you can get the hardcover book. But let me let, let you all know that the hardcover book, I created it with that intention for it to be beautiful. So so you can really take the time out for yourself to create a ritual and a meditation through it and really think about mm-hmm. how you're coloring instead of not make you not want to color. But I understand that, so that's why I made the PDF available. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So why don't you share, um, share some of the, um, the stories and poetry that you mentioned um, that's throughout the work. Oh, yeah. Here, let me just. Let me just grab the book itself and 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 and, and read one of the stories on here for you all to hear. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then and then while and then while you're doing that, I was wondering, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, women can multitask. Um are you still teaching? And if so, how is that also a part of your website? Like how do people like adult people Yeah. children people yeah, so. how, how do how do we take advantage <laughs> of, of that part of your multidisciplinary so Portfolio. I'm teaching. I'm teaching actually the coloring book because it is a mm-hmm. curriculum in itself um, at mm-hmm. a school. But next month, I am actually going to start um, a, a coloring book class 
for children. And then also it's going to be called the divine mindset for adults. <laughs> so it's going to mm. be a four week series that is like that, that focuses on the coloring book for adults, but it's also like a paint and sip, you know, the color and paint, sip and paint <laughs> yeah. that's going mm-hmm. around. So everyone can um, have a little drink, but then also I'll be doing like a guided med- meditation um, or ritual for adults as well. So I'm going to be posting mm-hmm. that on my Instagram because I still have to design the promotional stuff for it. But mm-hmm. yeah, so that's what I decided that I'm going to be start doing. So it's going to be based off completely on um, the coloring book. <laughs> hmm, sounds nice. Okay. So, so Wanda, why don't you pick which which country would you like me to pull from? Haiti, Brazil, uh, or the Philippines? <laughs> Brazil. Brazil. Okay. And do you can you think of any specific Orisha that you like to pull from, or um, since oh, Orisha yeah. represents oh, yeah. the divine oh, yeah. force in oh, nature? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. My go-to cool. Ogun. Ogun. Okay, here we go. So I will go to Ogum. Ogum. So, um, so in the coloring book, I mean, I, I also like explain. I also like Yemenja and I like Oshun. Um, which one? Which one? Which I one? Get one? Okay. Oh. Okay. No, okay. I'll read a okay. couple. I'll read a couple. I'll read a couple. I, I want Ogun. Ogun first. Yeah. Ogun first. So I'll read it to everyone. So it starts off with roots of Ogum, and, and this is inspired by Afro-Brazilian Candomblé, Orisha, which represents divine force of nature, energy, and a deity, and the language, of course, is Portuguese. So, folklore. Before life began, before we believed, Ogum is the Orisha of iron, war, and technology. When he first came to Earth, he helped prepare the way for all Orishas and humanity. In order to survive in the forest, Ogum forged his own weapons, technology. These weapons served to both nourish agriculture and defend war. Long ago, Ogum was called to fight a war. Since he didn't know when the war would end, he told his son to ask the people of Ife to dedicate one day of the year to him while he was at battle. During the seven years Ogum was fighting, the people set aside one day each year for fasting and silence. When Ogum finally returned, thirsty and hungry, he knocked at several doors asking for food and drink, but no one served him. The city was so silent you could hear a pin drop. Enraged by the people's indifference, Ogum decimated the entire village with his sword, stopping only when his son appeared and explained to him that the people were not ignoring him. It happened to be the day of the year set aside to honor him with silence and fasting. Ogum realized his terrible error. Overcome with shame and remorse, he opened the ground and with his sword buried himself standing. His spirit became one with the earth, promising to help those who called on him. When you're ready to be fearless in pursuit of what sets your soul on fire, remember Ogum. Say aloud, I can, I will, I am. The divine symbolism. The sacred story tells us Ogum symbolizes creative energy, evolution, truth, and invention. His power drives technology and creates tools for progress. He is a fearless warrior, artist, and craftsman. Ogum cuts down obstacles with his machete. Whenever you feel angry, anxious, or frustrated, find a safe space to release it with the strength and fierceness of Ogum. 
cry, dance, yell, jump, stomp your feet, maybe even have a pillow fight. Ogum reminds us that during our toughest challenges, we have the power to clear our own past. His elements, some of the colors associated with him are dark blue and green. You want to read the mindfulness activity and the poetry? (laughs) Oh, yeah, totally. (laughs) Okay, so here's the mindfulness activity. Grab two things in your house that are made of metal, spoons, pots, symbols, and metal cups. Holding one in each hand, bang them together loudly. Feel the vibration in your hands. Feel Ogum's power within you. Now, lift one object towards the sky and imagine that you are holding a machete. Pretend you are slashing through a tough obstacle that's in your way. Make an X in the air. Do not direct your energy at a person, but towards the energy of negativity. This is a poem by Samad Rahim Gitta. Me. Have you seen my strength, my physical prowess, my power? Orisha Ogun. No, I haven't. Me. What have you seen? Orisha Ogun. You lift heavy weights, but refuse to let go of your burdens. Unclench your fists and open your heart. Then I'll see your strength. That's it. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I was wondering, um, I, instead of talk, telling you this off the air, I was wondering, I um, I want to have um, last year, um, you know, during the uh, pandemic, we um, we had poetry every week uh, on the air for um, National Poetry uh, Month because we felt that poetry could help people get through this, right? And so I was mm-hmm. wondering if it were possible for you and I to curate a program next month, the National Poetry Month, um, featuring uh, the poetry and the poets of the Divine Coloring Book. What do you think? Yeah, I'm okay. down. <laughs> cool, cool. And maybe maybe you could have a sale going or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for people to buy the book because they're going to certainly want it after they hear about it. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's good. It's it's been. I was uh, this morning when I was like doing my own like personal meditation. Um, mm-hmm. um, I was reading a section of it um, about. I, I was reading the snakes because this morning, like snakes, this you know snakes came up. Oh, and, um, oh that, I love the snake. Yeah, yeah, Dambala. And the movement yeah. exactly, and the movement of snakes in a lot of spiritualities um, is mm-hmm. just just so important. And so I was reading it and I was actually crying, like reading what I wrote. And I was like, yo, I need to hear this right now. This is what I need to hear. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I had, you know, in, um, in Haiti, it is Dambala and it's also Aida Wedo, you know, and in, um, mm-hmm. in, um, and in Brazil, it's, uh, what is it? I, I Brazil is Oshumare, you know? So mm-hmm. I was just, um, I was reflecting on uh, those this morning. But anyways, mm. did you want me to read another one? <laughs> yes, I would. I would. And and I was just thinking because you called it, um, I like to hear um, Dambala um, or the other other name in the other tradition, same deity, okay. different, different names. So, mm-hmm. so since we did, we did Brazil. Oh, yeah, so Haiti is Dambala. So do you want to hear... Mm-hmm. Um, Dambala or Aida Wedo. So she is the rainbow, um, and oh. she also she represents the rainbow and the serpent too. 
Oh, so. yeah. Let, let me let's hear that one. Yeah, I don't know that. Yeah, the rainbow too. Okay. I mean, I know the I rainbow know too. I didn't know it was combined though. <laughs> there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nice. And I see. So here we go. Here's the story of Aido mm-hmm. Edo. So her roots Haitian voodoo. She is called a Lawa, which represents ancestor and spirit and the languages Haitian Creole folklore. Before life began, before we believed, Aido Edo has been the Lawa of water, snakes, and rainbows. She often takes the form of a rainbow python snake, her iridescent scales glistening in the sunlight. At the beginning of the world, after the first rain fell, Aido Edo appeared in the midst of the broken rain clouds and shifting sunlight. Mist had settled on the plants and the trees. Dambala, the great serpent spirit, had just finished creating the world. Aido Edo followed the storm. Her divine rainbow encircled and embraced the precious earth as she wove together all the elements of nature to prevent the earth from falling away into space. From high above the blue, she sees all living lands and all people across the oceans. From the great Mapu trees in Haiti to the baobab trees in Benin, from the emperor penguins in Antarctica to the amber phantom butterflies in Brazil, Aida sees them all as she holds the earth in the sky with her beloved Dambala. They harness the power to create life, and together they carry within them all of life's energies and potential. You won't see the rainbow without the snake slithering, sliding, and undulating. When you are looking for inspiration to create and manifest great things in your life, remember Aido Edo, divine symbolism. The sacred story tells us about the rainbow that contains all the colors split from white light. Aido Edo is an ancient root spirit of fertility, continuity, integration, and wholeness. She is a protector and the divine feminine balance to Dambala Wedo. Together, they form a co-creative, life-sustaining force at the intersection of heaven and earth, which brings healing, strength, and blessings to our world. Her story is told through dance and drum with Haitian rhythms like Yanbalu, Mayi, and Zipal. In Catholicism, she is associated with Immaculate Conception, mindfulness, look around you, maybe go outside, find 10 different things that represent the colors of a rainbow, make a collage of all the things. If you can take a photo and print it out as a keepsake, why do you like rainbows? If you can't use up creativity, the more you use, the more you have. Maya Angelou. Hmm. Wow. Your writing is really good. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> mm, very nice. Thanks. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I do I want like- to read a Filipino one, though, because now we did Brazil and then. <laughs> and then yeah, we and did then, Haiti. Mm-hmm. And Haiti, and we'll, we can finish with a, a Filipino one, if of course. Okay. okay. Honor, sure, homage sure. to my ancestry. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. And so, Maguayan and Maguayan. Roots ancient Visayas, Visayas Philippines. Uh, she is a diwata, a spirit, a goddess. The language is Visaya. Folklore. Before life began, before we believed, there were only the heavens and Maguayan, the abyss, who reigned as the diwata of the sea. Her vast ocean waters reach all lands, including underground rivers that flow down into the underworld. She ferries souls with her magical barangay, a boat. 
Butuan boat across a sacred river called La Langban. She has many magical shells. Her most sacred shell is Budyong that she blows on three times to transform herself into something bigger so she can fight sea monsters that challenge her power. To keep her magical shells safe, she took part of the ocean that held her treasures and buried it deep on Panay Island. Maguayan became queen of the underworld after her daughter, Lidaga, died. She began to ferry souls of the dead to the land of the ancestors as a way to remain close to her daughter forever. That's how she gained the great power to enter the realms of both the living and the dead. Today, a body of water called Tinongdagat, Hidden Sea, exists in Panay, supposedly where Maguayan hid her shells. High in the mountains is a lake that looks like the sea, carved into limestone rocks. In the water are fishes that cannot be seen in a normal sea. If you taste the water, it's even salty. When it's time to acknowledge an ending and start a new beginning, remember Maguayan. Divine Symbolism. The sacred story tells us that Maguayan is nurturing, wise, and celebrated as the great mother goddess and provider. She embodies the connection between life, death, and our ancestors through her water. She guides us through unknown realms of the deep and things we may not understand. Maguaya protects us. As a divine mother, she represents your mama's womb and the water that surrounded you. She represents the water that lies within you and the powerful water that flows through you. Mindfulness. Find a spot where there is running water. Bring your ear close to the water. Listen to its sound. Watch it flow. If you're in a pool, jump up and down. Make waves. Then listen to its sound or the water. What does it sound like? How does it move? What, why is water important to you? Remember to save some water for the fishes. Sometimes what you need is what you need. Sometimes you will have to understand that you won't understand. Sometimes your journey really is your own journey. Sometimes you'll feel minuscule in comparison to a world that is so big, and yet always the divine has got you. Always your ancestors are holding you. Always it's you that's carrying you. Always you are a part of something bigger than yourself. Always, although you are just a part, you are just as powerful as the whole. Trust, always. Written by myself, Christine Joy Magan Ferrer. <laughs> nice, Thank you. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit. Um, I don't know how much time you have, but I wanted to know if you could tell us a little bit about the publishing process. Um, you know, Book Baby. Because um, when you were, you know, you you mentioned that, you know, people could buy from you know the publisher, or they could buy you know from you, which goes to the publisher. You know, your website is connected to it. I was just wondering, yeah. um, you know, people think about the business of publishing and royalties oh, yeah. and, and mm-hmm. all that. And I was just wondering if, if you would mind just share a little bit about that process. And 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 is this a good company, Book Baby, so far for you? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, I, I really like Book Baby a lot because I've done um, a lot of research trying to find a space and a, a spot to, like, host my self-publishing work. Um, for now and bookbaby.com is pretty legit because my number one thing as and I've published I mean worked on publishing projects before you know with Urban Habitat and uh, Reimagine RP on E and um, and bookbaby has great customer service now um, and then when you actually publish your book you get uh, like I think it's 60% of it 60% mm. of the difference of the 
for the book, I think. I'm not, I can't remember fully sure, but it's something around that, which is more so um, than the other sites that I've seen more than Amazon and more than um, BookBaby, but they, I mean, not more than Amazon and, and like Barnes and Noble, but the thing is they actually have connections to Amazon and Barnes and Noble. So it gets sent to them, but it's like third party, you know, that's why I was saying. So then um, with Amazon, because I'm going through a third party and not directly to Amazon, like, I don't know how much mm-hmm. when people go just with Amazon, but I only get, like, a couple dollars per book. Really? <laughs> through Amazon. Like, yeah. two? So, <laughs> really? Yeah, like, two or no, three. That's nothing. Yeah. So, oh, my goodness. No, so that's what I'm saying. So that's why I was encouraging. I still put it on Amazon because BookBaby has an option. You could either just publish directly on their site, you know, but then you could also pay, I think it's like $400 to be in connection so then you can connect to all their retailers. And it's also beneficial because Ingram Sparks is a big place that bookstores buy from. So if your book mm-hmm. is available on Ingram Sparks, you know, then they can get it directly from the, the warehouse, you know, and then it gets shipped to them instead of you having to have all these books. So that was my process. Right because I do so much other work, I didn't want to spend most of my time trying to hustle and bustle with the book itself. So I did it POD, which is print on demand. So with print on demand is that people buy it, it goes, gets shipped directly to them and you don't have to worry about housing it or anything. But the other thing is that if you do want to buy the physical copy of the book yourself, um, just Mm -hmm. to have, it does cost more money than if you went to like a, a different printer. You know what I mean? And decided to just print the books. So it really is what is your focus? Like, do you want to just buy a bunch of books and then sell it individually yourself, you know, and ship it out yourself? And if you do, um, Book Baby probably is not the best spot because they can be expensive, you know. But if your whole thing is try to buy some books for yourself and then print on demand, Book Baby is the best because any questions that you may have, they'll answer. And customer service is so important to me. Because, you know, especially because if you're a first time trying to publish, you know, um, yeah. And you really just have to be on it. And the thing is, I'm all about delegating. So if there's something that you can't do or don't want to do or you're not good at, like invest in yourself and pay someone else that really knows how to do it to do that. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, um, right. yeah. yeah, so that's exactly why I chose uh, Book Baby because uh, mm-hmm. per – uh, per book, yeah, I get at least like 60% per book. And yeah, and the thing about Amazon is that now it's out of stock because I've promoted to everybody to get it on Book Baby. And the thing mm-hmm. with Amazon, you have to promote before. So like a bunch of people buy from Amazon and then they'll have your book. So they don't just get the book. They will buy oh. the book from the warehouse, Amazon. <laughs> but there has to be a number of people that mm-hmm. get the book before they will order it for their warehouse. If that makes mm-hmm. sense. So because I have right. not been promoting Amazon, they, they, my book they don't is quote unquote out of stock. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Quote unquote out of mm-hmm. stock. But if there's a few people that do want to get my boat, my book, you can still pay for it and they'll send, but you'll just get it a little bit later because, you know, I think they want a certain number of people to buy it on Amazon, you know, before they get it, but you'll get it. I just mm-hmm. don't know how long I can tell you if you buy my book on book, baby, you'll get it within two weeks because obviously the mail is still having its um, issues because of the pandemic and all of that stuff. So um, just be patient. You will get it. And it's beautiful. You know, if you don't want to wait, you can download the PDF and get it right on Etsy. Um, and it's 19.99 on Etsy. But you're going to want to have the hardcover. 
Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. That's what everybody's saying. <laughs> yeah. 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 But like mm-hmm. I said, I mean, you know, you'll get the whole book. You just have to print it out too with the PDF. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. That is so. It's so exciting. Um, you know, your book and wow, and and just sort of you know having that time and and making mm-hmm. that commitment to yourself. And here, here you are. You know, the book has been out, and you know it's it's doing very, very well. You've made your money back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it seems like yes, 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 yeah. I raised on Indiegogo. I raised about sixteen uh, k actually, mm-hmm. and so I'm very mm-hmm. thankful for that. But it was really the community and my community that believed in me, and also my mentors. And I cannot stress enough. Um, that I'm so thankful for my mentors and the cultural, the real mentors and cultural bearers on this project, because yes, I am Filipino, but first and foremost, I'm Filipino American, you know, so I, I wasn't raised on all of, you know, these stories or these traditions. It's not until I got older and the same thing, like, even though I, um, I consider myself someone who practices and honors like Vodou and also Condomble, like I am not the main person that you should be going to to ask you know, for this, like, I have my teachers, and they have guided me through this whole process, and um, I just want to give them a shout out right now, um, and I'm so thankful for their support. So we have, um, for the Philippine, for Philippines to represent Philippine culture for me, I have Alalulia Panes of Colarts, um, June Arietlano uh, um, from Paranal Dance Company, Sulima Siligong Sawai, um, Mirna Pumna, and Marlon Martin from Indigenous Peoples Education. And uh, from Haiti, or to represent the Haitian culture, I have Portia Jefferson, um, Zetwal Ashade Bonmombo of Raratulume, Danielle Bravel, Danielle Brav Bravel, Laurie Florentine from Fall Dance, for Brazil, to rep- help me represent Brazil, I have Georgie Alabe. Paco Gomez, Danda de Ora. Oh, and I forgot Haiti. Um, also, Jenan St. Juice from Afutaye. Um, Tanya Santiago of Agos Dance Company. And Mestre Urubu Malandro of Capoeira EJ Shah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, wow. What a, I don't know. The book sounds like, you know, um, such a collaboration. My goodness. Um, and I can't even think of. I don't know. I can't think of such. I mean, it's it's a coloring book, but it's not that large, and it's but it has so much, and it sort of mm-hmm. brings the diaspora together, you know, through this creative process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that is the whole point of bridging, <laughs> of bridging and mm-hmm. seeing the similarities and uplifting um, the different cultures throughout of it, you know. Um, and I also, I also have, I included a special uh, color illustration, coloring pl- plage of, um, of, <laughs> of Jesus, of Christ, <laughs> mm-hmm. that represents a Filipino Christ, a Brazilian Christ, and a Haitian Christ, you know, because that is the culmination of, of it all, uh, of me, of it is. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, there's even, like, one of my favorite quotes that I've pulled from Christ in there that I had uh, – that I had gotten. It said, if you bring forth what is within you, what you bring forth will save you. If you don't bring forth what is within you, what is within you will destroy you. 
You are the salt Mm. of the earth. You are the light of the world. I said, you are gods. And I've never heard that quote before. But Mm. Jesus said, Mm -hmm. you are gods, G-O-D-S, you know. And so I think that's the reason also why I called it the divine. Because in, in so many other different places, like everybody has their name. And, and, and representation and sometimes the word God or goddess is not enough, you know, like in different places, it's, it has so many different meanings. So that's why I called it the divine, but it's also to remember the divine that's in each one of us, you know? Oh yeah, Cause, certainly, certainly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause we're one in the same, you know, it's not the divine isn't something that's, outside of us it is outside of us but it's also in us but we are also it together (laughs) Mm -hmm. right you know (laughs) yay (laughs) (laughs) yes yes wow wow well congratulations on this wonderful work and um yeah are you planning on making doing any more books now that you have one out Probably sometime in the future. I think right now I'm just trying to focus on what this what this project itself can do, you know, mm-hmm. um, like with my classes, my Divine Coloring Book classes and the workshops that I'm going to uh, produce from it. So um, I'm just thinking around it and thinking what else. Um, if I do want to do more, I feel like I need to go to each country and to spend more time there, mm-hmm. you know, um, and some people have said, oh, why don't you do other countries and other cultures? And and the thing is, like, I feel like I need to keep continuing to explore these ones because this is what I know and mm-hmm. and this is what has been bring truth to my soul, you know. And I'm only going for it because it's just meant so much to me um, and done so much for me that I want to mm-hmm. want to share it. <laughs> and right. Definitely encourage all of it because it's like. It's like, you know, you grow up, like, with so many mythologies. I feel like I grew up with Greek and Roman gods learning about, you know, Cinderella, Little Mermaid, and Robin Hood, you know. But just a few (laughs) of us have learned these stories of the divine. You know, the stories and these stories have been passed on from generation to generation through traditional dance music and oral storytelling. And the divine, I feel, draws the connections between the cultures and beliefs of these diasporas. You know, and I just want to give the attention to them that they deserve, you know, and it's from the Americas, Africa, to the islands, you know, we need to continue to carry and pass down the wisdom that's in these stories and um, just apply it to our own lives, you know, so I am, I am just very thankful and the book is meant to grow with, you know, that's what I was saying. I remember (laughs) someone had said, you need to pick, you need to pick a, a age group. You know, and I'm like, and then I thought about it, and I was like, nah, I'm not gonna pick an age group because, you know, I wanted to be with people and 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 it's relate to like everyone, you know. So um, yeah, so don't just think it's for the little babies. <laughs> mm-hmm. but, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. I was wondering, um, do you have plans? Because I would just love to be in the room with all of the you know, the collaborators together with you in, in like a Zoom or something. Um, have yeah, you had... so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure that out now. I'm actually applying for oh, a grant um, mm-hmm. to figure that out because I do want an in-person event, even if it's going to be small. Um, yes. 
but I also will have a Zoom event. But like I said, I'm working on the grant because I definitely want to um, give money <laughs> to my mentors and <laughs> for yeah. being a part mm-hmm. of like, um, and if, if they take part in, in the Zoom or whatever, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, you know, because it's people's time. And so I really want to make it like pretty uh, legitimate. <laughs> mm-hmm. But right. um, at the end of the month on March 20, oh, I have it in front of me. I'm doing an okay. event, mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily for, this is separate like from um, the coloring book itself. But I just wanted to uh-huh. like shout it out because it's in honor yeah. of uh, Women's History Month. So I'm partnering, mm-hmm. I'm co-producing this event with Local Bloco, um, Dance mm-hmm. Mission Theater, and yeah, and and Poder, you know. I'm in San Francisco and myself, uh, EO Movement. Um, it's called Unapologetically Empoderadas. And it's Sunday, March 28th at 3 p.m. at Hummingbird Farm, uh, Crocker Amazon Park in San Francisco. And it's free. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's mass and social distancing required, but if you want to catch it, you can catch it on live stream on Instagram, on Facebook, on Dance Missions um, spot. But there's going to be amazing artists that are going to be part of this uh, that I've helped to curate it. Local Bloco is going to perform True People, Dance Brigade, Rising Rhythms, um, Parangal, so I myself am going to be performing. Amalu Capuera, San Francisco, Andreina. There's going to be this poet named Kelly Curry. There's also going to be free smoothies. So it's only <laughs> about a couple hours. If anyone is wants to come through, they can please come through. And if you follow me on Instagram, <laughs> you'll you'll see all that information there. You know. <laughs> yeah. So I hope that uh, yeah you guys can make it, and I will definitely keep everyone posted when I decide to do um, an event. And it definitely is coming. I'm just in the works of trying to be more intentional instead of just trying to shuffle it out fast to go with uh, the me publishing it because I want it to be just an amazing thing, a collaboration of a lot of different people, you know. Mm-hmm. And, um, yes, so maybe something on Zoom too. I mean, definitely something on Zoom. I just haven't figured it out yet. But for now, my classes are going to start next month. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Teen, um, for joining us to talk about this journey and this wonderful work. And I just I just love the meditation um, and, and the thoughtfulness, you know, that went into the work. And, yeah, it's... Yes, it's for all ages. <laughs> yeah, and even those yeah. little ones who you know don't don't know how to read, you know, as fluently mm-hmm. as they will eventually. Then you know, it, it it could be a book that you know families share with each other. Yeah, yeah, agreed, agreed. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And I just think you know, um, you know, once you do your DVD and you're teaching people the the movement. <laughs> <laughs> that goes with the Arisha, then it'll just be like it'll be like all around, you know, eating the food. Like what what foods does this Arisha enjoy? You know, this is, you know, sort of the meditation and oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well my goal for the event is to actually be able to invite my teachers who who focus on that movement, you know, because for me, it's just my movement is all inspired by, but it's not it, you know, and like I said, like, I'm not, if you want to 
if people want to learn more about the culture, if people want to learn more about the movement, the spirituality, it's not through me. You know, it's through the mentors that I've that I've talked about that are in my book that um, they should go to and honor, you know, and then learn from because they are actually full-blown practitioners of what they practice. <laughs> right. Me, you right, know, I'm that yeah. eclectic soul. I believe in all of it. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and from that, I've created my own personal spirituality. <laughs> But mm-hmm. yeah, but I'm just so, so thankful. And yeah, and, and thank you for having me so, so, so much on this. Um, yeah, and I'm just, you know, I just see the divine in everything now. And each day I just learn more and more. And I'm so incredibly grateful. And the divine, the coloring book is my offering. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. and it's, and every people, every culture have their own way of honoring what's sacred and what's spiritual. And, um, yeah, and if you can, if we just apply the wisdom of these stories in our, into our everyday lives, we'll discover a deeper relationship to the world around us. And like I wrote before our lives began, before we leave, the divine has been both within us and outside of us. So, Ashe, I maraming salamat. Messi Ampil, obrigada. Oh, you're quite welcome. This is really lovely. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for the meditations and the prayers as well. You know, we can't get enough of that. And, uh, yeah, it's been really, really wonderful having this conversation. I look forward to April and another collaboration. You know, that's going to be fun. Really yes. fun. So folks, look out for We don't know which week. So, you you know, you have to look. <laughs> Or come to all, come to all the shows. <laughs> right. Follow yeah, me on Instagram, yeah. P I N E J O I. Mm. So yeah. Right. And then all of it, it will get you to wherever you need to go. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Well, I just I just purchased my book, <laughs> the hardback. Yay! <laughs> yeah. I'm so and then excited. I'll download the um, PDF so I can, you know, have something that I don't mind desecrating. <laughs> 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 and turn it out as a million times as you want to and give it out, you know. Um, well, yeah, shout out to my I'm telling you, shout out to my, all my other students, all the kids that I've taught because there's so many families, um, not just my students, but, you know, just friends of families that have, um, mm-hmm. that were part of the people that I, that let me take pictures of them so I could promote it. <laughs> oh, yeah, and yeah, they're, yeah. Right, yeah, <laughs> really nice. They look like they're having such a good time. <laughs> I know. There's a video of it on the Indiegogo campaign, you know, of them uh, mm-hmm. doing uh, drawing and coloring and saying why they liked each divinity. But I'm so thankful for those kids. Like, kids, man, I tell you, they're amazing. And I think, yeah. And so that's who this book's for. The book was for my mama, and it was also for my nieces and nephews and my grandbaby niece and nephews. But it's also for all the kids that have ever inspired my life and continue to mm-hmm. do so. Right, Ashe. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> All righty. Well, you take good care and uh, look okay. forward to um, continuing this conversation um, very soon. Thank you. <laughs> and I'm definitely going to be, be available? giving you a jingle. Hmm? Yeah. Is this is this is this uh is this podcast going to be available for other people to hear? <laughs> oh, it's available Online. right now. It's live. Yes, and, and yeah, it's live and um, uncensored, and I will send you a link yes. so that you can send it around. Thank you, Wanda. You're and welcome. Shout out to Uncle Kevin. <laughs> K 
Kevin McGraw. <laughs> yeah, hopefully he's listening. I, I sent him a link. I said, you know, okay. he's going to be on. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, Uncle Kevin, if you're listening. <laughs> and if he's not, we'll send it to him, and he can listen, you know, after the fact. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay, you take care. Have a good good rest of the morning. <laughs> okay, bye, Wanda. Thank you. Bye. You're welcome. Peace and blessings. (laughs) So we are going to play a little bit more of Make Lead. I think she is the artist for today. We're gonna we're gonna play um, Walk Up on a Day Like This from Walk Up or Walk Up from a Day Like This. I'm not exactly certain what order it goes, but anyway, (laughs) I'm gonna play this and then we're gonna close out with uh, a uh, virtual interview that we had with. Sarah uh, Crowell, who um, is uh, the um, one of the founding directors of Destiny Arts, and the we were talking about uh, Dance Brigade's program, um, Dance in let's see, Dirt, Dance in I'm trying to think, uh, oh, Dance during uh, Dance. Dance in Revolting Times, and uh, and this this year it's um, Harriet's um, Gun, and uh, Sarah and Adia Whitaker are curators um, for this program, which cl- concludes tomorrow, uh, the 13th at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 um, p.m. Eastern Time, and uh, Queen Radessa Jones, uh, Medea Project Theater for Incarcerated Women, and and artistic director of Cultural Odyssey, um, uh, Rodessa, if you were there last week, oh, man, she just weaves it all together so beautifully. And last week was so stunning, really, really, really awesome. It was last Friday, um, Harriet's Gun, and again, it's tomorrow, not tonight. Tonight, um, this afternoon, you can go to um, Collage the Afrikan. Uh, which is a program of um, the Amana Kora uh, Dance, Af- West African Dance Company, uh, Mama Naomi and, and Papa Zach Duff. And so that's today, and it's on Zoom, so it'll be virtual. And then the dance classes are also today at um, Collage. You can go to the website for uh, the Amana Kora, West African Dance Company, the Amana, D-I-A-M, Diamano, oh, and then Kira, Diamano Kura, um, C-O-U-R-A, uh, West African. You can go to their website and, and find out more about the dance classes, which are today, tomorrow, Saturday, and Sunday, and then on the 20th. Um, there's going to be, a, um, I think there's going to be a theater program. Um, not the 20th, excuse me, I think it's the 21st. Um Oh, no, I think it's the 20th, actually. But anyway, go to the website. I'm doing this from memory, which might not be as accurate as if you go to the website. Um, but if you want to listen to the show on, on Wednesday, that this past Wednesday, that's when I was interviewing um, uh, Mama Mabiba, who is going to be teaching um, a dance uh, dance class. She's uh, Congolese. And uh, Mama Naomi, uh, they were both on together. So... Um, so that's going to be really exciting. So, And they're going to also have these wisdom circles, panels, where they're going to be talking about, about, you know, the state of dance, 
African dance, and there's another one that's going to be the state of of uh, African drumming. So both of those wisdom circles, I think they're free, and um, tickets aren't that expensive. And I don't know if if they're really hard on the. Um, it said that if you wanted to get passes, that you had to have them by yesterday, and yesterday is yesterday, and today I'm telling you about it. So I don't know if they're real hard and fast on the. You can't get a a pass on Friday, maybe not. So I would definitely be in touch with the company. You can get in touch with them through their website um, about, you know, if you want to get a pass, see if you can get a pass because I don't think you should think it's out of the question completely. And then today at noon um, is the um, the really wonderful um, uh, luncheon that um, is going to be honoring a whole lot of phenomenal and powerful women and um and so it's uh it's a virtual um event and you can um I want to see here I'm I'm looking for the details <laughs> so I can tell you um yeah uh, it's you know everyone the, the lunch is being delivered to the women and I think if you wanted to participate you would have had to have put your order in by, oh, you know what? It might not be too late. You might be able to still get a lunch. Um, so anyway, it's called um, it's uh, the 12th Annual Powerful Women of the Bay Awards Virtual Luncheon in Honor of Women's History Month. And it's at 12 noon as a start. It goes to 1.30. And, um, and the, uh, the website is powerfuleb for East Bay Women dot com powerful e b women dot com and it's an annual awards luncheon uh whose purpose is to honor local innovators, entrepreneurs, creative minds and trailblazers in celebration of women's history month. And each year over three hundred attendees come together and this time it's gonna be virtually to celebrate the incredible impact of Bay Area women on local, statewide and national levels. The P W-O-T-B, luncheon on Friday, um, again, is from 12 to 1.30. And uh, you can purchase tickets from that website, I'm sure. And so um, this year, um, folks are going to be getting lunches, and um, people who have tickets will be getting lunches through Uber Eats. And uh, so you'll be able to – oh, it says that tickets must be purchased no later than Thursday, March March 11th. Oh well, I guess you have to make your own lunch, but you can definitely go to the go to the awards even if you can't get a get a meal. <laughs> yeah, so um so it should be really cool. Kathy Adams, you know, that powerful, hard working sister, CEO of C D A Consulting Group is one of the honorees. Lanice Jones, executive director of Boapa, is another honoree and um and Sandra Varner President of Varna PR is a uh, third um, honoree that I want to lift those names up. So, so anyway, uh, yeah. So that's happening at twelve, and uh, and then don't forget that the um, the play um, um, yes, I'm drawing a blank now. Um, let's see, just a second. <laughs> um, Lorraine Hansberry Theater. And um, oh, hieroglyph. Lorraine Hasbury Theater, in collaboration with the San Francisco Playhouse, 
or SF Playhouse, uh, is um, their play opening is opening, Hieroglyph is opening, and Saturday, tomorrow, the 13th. And uh, what's the run? Let me see. Um, I'm not sure. Let me look and see what the run is. I think the run is through April. Yeah, the run is through April 3rd, and you can get tickets at sfplayhouse.org or lhtsf.org. And uh, it's a filmed play. Uh, it's not, you're not going to be in the theater. The Hieroglyph is by Erica Dickerson Dispensa. It's directed by Margot Hall, the uh, new artistic director of Lorraine Hansberry Theater. And it features Jamila Cross, Sophia Fredericks, uh, Kyrie L. Moyer, and Anne Marie Sharp. Um, really phenomenal cast. And of course, you know, the phenomenal uh, Margot Hall as director. So it's going to be really, really good. And, again, uh, that's um, tomorrow evening is the debut. It opens, and um, so you get to, you can get your tickets uh, tomorrow. And um, I don't know if you can get your tickets before. <laughs> and, um, and you have an opportunity to see this great, great work because I'm sure, I'm sure it's, it's going to be simply phenomenal. And I had a really wonderful interview with Marco Hall yesterday in um, the virtual um, Wanda's Picks, and you can go to um, go to my website, not what website, see my Facebook if you want to watch it, um, Facebook uh, forward slash dot com, Facebook.com forward slash Wanda's Sabir and Wanda's Picks and my author Bay Area and uh, San Francisco Bayview, a lot, a lot of places um, I uh, put links <laughs> to this wonderful conversation with Margot about the Lorraine Hansberry Theater, about her position now as artistic director, the first woman uh, in the theater's history to lead the theater, and this wonderful play, Hieroglyph. So with that, I am going to play this interview with um, Sarah, and I didn't get a chance to cut the first part of the interview, um, which is kind of like pre, pre-taping pre chatter. So you'll just have to ignore that and uh, and listen. You know, it's like, okay, this is the preamble, and then we're going to go live. So I'm, I'm, I'm sharing with you the, um, the interview that we had, a virtual interview we had last week in Facebook. So enjoy, and I will see you in the theater. I will see you at um, Zakia's poetry reading tomorrow at 10. I will see you at Diamanacora's uh, 26th Annual Collage. I will see you. Where else will I see you? I will see you at the play. And maybe I'll just see you out and about on your bike, <laughs> riding, getting some fresh air and some sunshine. Um, yeah, I'm so happy that you're still with us in this particular form, uh, the flesh that is. And um, yeah, and it's and you know much 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 wellness and good um yeah much wellness and and blessings on you and your family everyone who's listening and those who are not listening peace and blessings everyone
Good morning and welcome to Wanda's Picks, a black arts and cultural program of the African Sisters Media Network and happy International Women's um, History Month and I'm going to say happy to my sister-in-law, Fetna Wati. And uh, that was Marcus Shelby's There's a Bomb uh, in from his um, Soul of the Movement and we are just i so excited to be speaking today with the co-author of C.T. Vivian. It's the In the Action, Memories of a Nonviolent Warrior, um, Steve Pfeiffer. And it's literally hot off the presses because this is the month that it's out, right? <laughs> That's right, Wanda. It comes out officially on March 16th. It's available now on Amazon, and uh, we'll be in bookstores in a couple of weeks. Oh, cool, cool. So with um, the pandemic, do you all travel? Like, are you going to be coming to the San Francisco Bay Area on your book tour? Well, that remains to be seen. You know, we are being very cautious with with the pandemic. So if that does happen, it will be later in in the summer, I'm afraid. Uh, we're doing mm-hmm. a lot of Zoom and radio and television like uh, your wonderful show, but uh, no travel at the moment. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, we'll look for you um, in some of these uh, uh, pre these posts of these in-pandemic kind of moves with regards to um, the, um, uh, the virtual uh, book talks and book travels. So, yeah, and then when we can actually like be in the store, that would be so cool, right? <laughs> oh yeah, it it makes a huge difference being able to relate face to face with with people, and it's always great when people come through the line, you know, wanting their book to be autographed, and they tell you a particular story about whomever you've been writing about. So I I really look forward to being able to do that because I'm sure that. Uh, there'll be a lot of people that come to these events that uh, will have had their lives touched by Dr. Vivian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly, certainly. Um, yeah, this is a really wonderful book, and I mean, it's just, you just don't want to like, you can't read through it quickly, and you don't want to because it's just every moment is like, really? That really happened? And And the mm-hmm. memories that are shared are just Awesome, and then the way that you sort of like use uh, archival um, documentation to uh, augment um, Dr. Vivian's uh, memories is just really phenomenal. And then that you you continue, you know, and you finish the book, you know, um, you know after he made his transition on that really heavy day, you know, like wow, C.T. Vivian makes his transition the same day as um, as John Lewis, like. What like the whole earth? It seems like it was like it was like a major. We have earthquakes here in California. Um, so right. Like well, how would you California. how would you like to be the um, the funeral director who picked up both Dr. Vivian and uh, John Lewis within hours of each other, and their caskets were actually side by side in the funeral home for several hours. It, that that. It's just kind of mind-blowing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. 
Definitely mind blowing. Mm-hmm. Let me let me tell our audience a little bit about you. Um, is your last name pronounced Pfeiffer? Yes, it is. Okay. So Steve Pfeiffer is an author and community activist whose distinguished career includes collaborations with the likes of Dr. Quentin Young, personal doctor to Martin Luther King Jr., Robert Jordan, former ambassador to Saudi Arabia, and James A. Baker, former U.S. Secretary of State. He is the co-author of Jimmy Lee and James' Two Lives, Two Deaths, and the Movement That Changed America, a Harlem Book Fair nonfiction finalist. He is also the co-writer of Southern Poverty Law Center's co-founder, Morris D.'s two award-winning memoirs, A Season for Justice and Hate on Trial. He currently serves on the advisory board of the Civic Leadership Foundation in Chicago, a nonprofit that serves underprivileged youth. So for our audience that's not really familiar with um, Dr. Williams, why don't you, why don't you tell us about him and, and, and situate um, the civil rights movement within the context of, of today's um, uh, sort of attention to racism and or structural racism and white supremacy and the movement for black lives. Like people might wonder, like, well, you know, this was that was all well and good, but that was then and this is now, and and there's definitely a currency to this. Absolutely. Uh, well, Dr. Vivian was born in 1924 and lived for a time in Boonville, Missouri, and then. Uh, He grew up in a household that valued education and religion, and uh, toward that end, they moved into Illinois where they thought they would encounter less racism. He could uh, go to a school that was nominally integrated, and there was a Church of God in Christ in that town, and so he started school there. And he was a rambunctious kid, not, uh, you know, the, the subtitle of our of our book, as you know, Wanda, is Memo- uh, Memories of a Nonviolent Warrior. But he became very adept at using his fists as a as a uh, elementary school kid and then kind of had this awakening that that wasn't the way to, to solve problems. And mm-hmm. he uh, he encountered uh racism in high school growing up in in uh, macomb i i'm sorry, and uh, also uh at the university and everybody he you know at at one point martin luther king called him the greatest uh preacher to ever live and everybody saw that in him from a from a very early age and were pushing him to go to seminary but he said that he would not go until he God actually spoke to him, and mm-hmm. that happened to him much later than it happens to a lot of a lot a lot of people. He was in his thirties and with a, already with uh, a family, and he moved to Nashville in the mid fifties, entered uh, American Baptist. Theological Seminary, and I'd say for some of your viewers, who, our listeners who may be familiar with uh, with the musical Hamilton, which talks about how how could it be that all these amazing founders and revolutionaries were in one place at one time, 
Nashville in the ninth, early 1960s, late 1950s, was exactly that for the beginnings of the civil rights movement, the modern civil rights movement. You've got Diane Nash, John Lewis, Bernard Lafayette. Uh, they're learning uh, nonviolent direct action techniques from Jim Lawson, and they uh, start the Nashville student movement there in 1960, and that is responsible for integrating the lunch counters and department stores in Nashville, which was the first city uh, below the Mason-Dixon line where, where that kind of movement was uh was successful and uh one of the one of the pivotal moments in in that uh movement came when uh april nineteenth nineteen sixty when uh, a bomb went off uh in the home of the lawyer who was representing an african american lawyer who was representing uh students in the in the sit-ins who had been arrested and so Dr. Vivian and Diane Nash and others organized a march after that bombing to uh, go down and confront the mayor of Nashville on the steps of City Hall. And 4,000 people joined in. It was the largest civil rights march to date. And there on the uh, City Hall steps, Dr. Vivian demanded to know whether Mayor West of Nashville was a Christian was was in his face and asking, you know, are you a Christian and how can you behave in this manner if if you're a Christian? How can you uh sanction the segregation of of facilities in your in your town? So that that was a pivotal moment. He moved on to the Freedom Rides, then he joined the uh SCLC as an affiliates director, so he was in Birmingham, he was in Augustine St. Augustine. He was in Selma, and then after that, he was quite the visionary and uh, saw that the next real battleground for the movement was going to be in the north, so he moved up. I'm I'm just outside of Chicago as we speak, and in the mid-'60s, right at the same time that Dr. King moved here to Chicago, uh, Dr. Vivian moved to Chicago and worked for four years on issues of jobs and training uh, uh, pre, uh, ministers to uh, be active in their communities, and uh, then he eventually moved back down to Atlanta, where he was active in um, supporting black businesses, a black, uh, a black bank, and uh, starting an organization to uh, help major corporations with issues of inclusion and diversity. But he was, to your point about contemporarily, he he was always pushing forward, in, you know, in the move, in the movement, and was uh, very, very disappointed in uh, 2013 when the Supreme Court gutted the Voting Rights Act and uh, and at the same time was delighted but not satisfied when uh, Barack Obama was elected president 
something he never thought he would see, but also saw that there was still so much to be to be done. And he continued to uh, continued to be active into his you know early early 90s. But he had some questions about now he he passed away in July of of last year, as you as you noted, and and the George Floyd uh, murder took place in May. But he wasn't really in any shape to, you know, to be involved in that as as he was getting close to his to his passing. But he was a strong believer in in the continue continue to be in nonviolent direct action and a strong believer that movements need leaders. And a, and a really strong particular focus on what is it exactly that they want and who's organizing them so that chaos and offshoots that aren't pushing for what the goals of the of the uh, movement are don't interfere with uh, with the major goals right yes um I want you to talk a little bit about how, <laughs> you know, your relationship with uh, Dr. Vivian and, and how you all came to work together on, on this particular wonderful, um, you know, memoir, reflection, history book. Um, but I also want to know if you could, um, I don't know if you have any um, sections that you'd like to share marked off, but I, it was really hard to like to be able to hold all this information in my mind. Um, I don't know if because I was reading when I was sleepy or what, but uh. <laughs> I mean it was just like when I was thinking, like, gosh, how am I gonna like talk about this? It's just all so it's just so much. Like he just did so much, but I was just thinking about you sort of you know. Um, I think it was Diane Nash when he was talking about how you know she didn't have a direct experience with the South because she wasn't, you know, Southern-born. And, right. and how, you know, we have this intellectual uh, understanding of, oh, man, that was so bad, right? And these folks, you know, our people are just suffering. But it's just all just in your head until you actually go down and you see the signs and you experience what other American citizens of African descent, if you're a person of African descent, um, are experiencing. And that sort of really, really changes everything, right? Right. For and, for her in, in, in particular, yeah, she goes to, mm-hmm. like, I think it was a state fair or some, you know, some kind of public event and sees that after she's transferred uh, to Fisk in Nashville, and uh, and and see separate facilities which she had never ex- you know experienced. Look, she had experienced racism in Chicago, but not the kind of separate facilities and and so forth that uh, she experienced at at Fisk. And then when she decided that she wanted to get involved uh, in the movement, she initially was. Uh, kind of disappointed that there weren't as many other students that were as, you know, wanted to be quite as active as she was. All these folks, uh, Lewis and Vivian and Lafayette and Nash, they they found a home uh, with uh, James Lawson, who was teaching uh, nonviolent direct action 
that he had learned by actually going to India and studying uh, and studying Gandhi. And Dr. King had suggested that Lawson, you know, go down to to Nashville in the late fifties. And uh, so Diane Ash and Dr. Vivian and others uh, really, you know, learned from him and and. Wanda, those those we described the the workshops that they had to be trained in nonviolent direct action. They went through mm-hmm. these exercises where someone would you know put a cigarette butt out on them and you know to test them so that they didn't respond in a in a violent or or physical way to that. Or they you know people they were getting kicked and by their peers you know so that they could just you know, be kind of conditioned not to respond as most people would if they were being abused in in that fashion. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, if you'd like me to, I, I'm, I'm happy to describe because it, it's really one of the uh, personal and professional, you know, highlights or milestones of my my life and uh, and uh, my certainly my professional career in terms of uh, connecting with Dr. Vivian, who, you know, had, had long been a, a hero of mine, although I, I certainly didn't know as much about him as I did when we, when we worked on the book. In, um, in about 2013 or 14, I was working on the book you referenced called Jimmy Lee and James, and that's a book about uh, Jimmy Lee Jackson and uh, Reverend James Reeb, uh, Jimmy Lee Jackson being a, a black uh, wood woodcutter in uh, Marion, Alabama, and uh, James Reeb being a white Unitarian minister working in Boston at the time. And uh, during the effort for voting rights in Selma in uh, February uh, and March of 1965, each of them was murdered, Jimmy Lee Jackson by a, a white state trooper and Reverend Reeb uh, by three. They, uh, it's questionable whether they were exactly members of the Klan, but they were certainly virulent white racists. And uh, so we used uh, that, those two seemingly very different guys who were both foot soldiers of the movement as a way to look at at the voting rights effort in in Selma during that time, and for researching the book, I called Dr. Vivian in Atlanta, and uh, we had just the the loveliest conversation because he was so intimately involved in Selma at the time. And as as I say in the book, you know, he called me Doc and said he he wished he'd been a journalist, and I'm thinking like. Oh my God! You're one of the most influential people, you know, in the country. You know, and have had such an amazing life. You wanted to be a journalist. I'm glad you were. You did what you did, and uh, <laughs> we 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 talked about. It, it was amazing to me, Juan, that he had. You know, here, here he was. Like at that time, he's like 90 years old, and he had never written an autobiography or a memoir. And so we talked about doing it, and then, you know, it, 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 we both got busy, and uh, then a couple of years later, the family called and said, the city of Atlanta is building a, a multi-purpose 
uh, park near the football stadium, and one of the the key buildings in that park is going to be the C.T. Vivian and Octavia Vivian Library. Dr. Vivian was an avid reader from childhood on and, and collected books of African-American uh, literature, poetry, nonfiction accounts, dating back all the way to colonial times, Phyllis Wheatley and, and, and so mm-hmm. forth. And so he don- he was donating that collection and they were building a library in that park, and the family thought, oh, you know, we need a, a a book about him that will be in the library. So when people come to visit this place, they'll be able to learn more about him. But it quickly became apparent that, you know, book a, a book about C.T. Vivian should not be limited to the people who might visit a library in Atlanta. This is his story which is as broad as you suggest, uh, should be told to as many people as possible. So that's when we began working on the memoir. There was just a lot of interviewing and uh, taping. And then as, you know, towards the end, as as he was getting older and his memory was fading and, and so forth, that's when, as, as you point out, I had to rely to some extent on uh, past speeches, past sermons, uh, other other archival material and and so forth to to supplement the book, but I think as as you suggest, I'm I'm glad you picked up on it. Um, I th- I think when you see what is in effect his CV at the end of the at the end of the book, you realize what a life he really led. I mean, he went to over 40 countries where he consulted with you know state leaders and and and. Uh, grassroots groups on issues of human rights and traveled all you know traveled all over the world doing that plus so many other things in the United States. Mhm. Yes, definitely. Definitely. <clears throat> Do you want to share something um from the book? Sure, so I could, could hear. you know what? Mm-hmm. I could um I could read the uh prologue which okay, sure. And, and I want to let okay, sure. And then also we want to let our audience know that um, that you have a forward um, in uh, it's in the action memories of a nonviolent warrior by Ambassador Andrew Young, which is really wonderful as well. Right. He uh, yeah, they were they were tremendous friends, and uh, Andrew Young has said that if not for the iconic moment where uh, Sheriff Jim Clark uh, pushed uh, Dr. Vivian down the courthouse steps in Selma as Dr. Vivian was attempting to register uh, local people to vote, that Mm -hmm. there may very well not have even been a Voting Rights Act of 1965 because the, uh, you know, nowadays, Wanda, we have cell phones that ca- that capture, thankfully, a lot of a lot of bad bad action that takes place between law enforcement and and uh, individuals, and particularly African American individuals that gets that gets captured and hopefully leads to to some kind of of response and uh, accountability. 
But in those, you know, back in 1965, we certainly didn't have that. But it just so happened that uh, one of the major news networks was filming that that day, and so caught the um, the incident on on a film of Jim Clark pushing Dr. Vivian down the courthouse steps and broadcast that on the nightly news, and it really inflamed. Uh, northerners uh, to see that kind of uh, inhumane behavior and led for greater lobbying for the Voting Rights Act of, of that time. But but Young and Vivian were were close until the until the very end. In fact, uh, I think at the funeral, uh, Doctor Young, uh, Andrew Young said that uh, C.T. Vivian was the and Jimmy Carter are the only two people. He knows who maintained the weight that were the same weight when they were in their 90s that when they were in their right. 30s or 40s. Yeah, I remember that. Yes. <laughs> we have, by the way, as you uh, you know, the at one of the I, I uh, the the funeral was because of COVID was uh, very small, basically for the for the family only in a few very close Atlanta friends and but fortunately it was streamed and and broadcast on the Atlanta television stations and I was able to watch and uh it it was really a remarkable homecoming and uh in addition to uh a, a amazing eulogy by Gerald Durley who was uh Dr. Vivian's pastor uh there were uh remembrances uh, by just, well, Joe Biden, who at that time was candidate Joe Biden, uh, Oprah, Andrew Young, as you mentioned, the late Hank Aaron, uh, Bernard Lafayette. So it was really it, it was really an amazing tribute. And we have uh, the transcripts of all of those brief oh. but touching uh, tributes in the um, in the book as well. Mm -hmm. wow. But I, yeah. if you want, I could read uh, just read the the prologue to you because Dr. Vivian, one of the very first things he showed me was the ring the ring he wore. Uh, mm, and yeah, that's a great story. And so this is the prologue, which we titled uh, "When We Came Out of Slavery." Friends, if you want to begin to understand me, my family, my people, I invite you to look at the ring with a family crest I designed years ago. Do you see the blackness on the upper left with a handful of stars peeking through? That's slavery. We farmed the land in those dark days, but we did it, but we did it under peonage for others. When we came out of slavery, we continued to farm because that was the work we knew. But it was different now that we were free. We didn't have to work for anyone else, and when possible, we could buy farms for ourselves. We were doing that, and we were winning, but then came the Great Depression. It knocked us down, but it didn't knock us out, because during this time, we were switching over to books, to knowledge. That's why my grandmother and parents were so committed to the fact that no matter what happened, I was going to get an education. 
This is a commitment I've continued with my children and that they've continued with theirs. You'll see that above the book that signifies learning on the ring, I've placed clouds. That's imagination. We don't learn solely by reading books. It's the imagination that goes with the education that creates something greater, the vision. See the sun on the ring? It rises on a new day. And if you look closely, you'll see that it creates a cross. The cross. That's what has undergirded us in slavery, undergirded us in peonage and coming out of us, of it, undergirded us in owning our farms and belongings, undergirds our intellectual life. That's the only way we get to the new day that we really hope for. That's why nonviolence becomes tremendously important. It has to be a spiritual thing. Mm, nice. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, and congratulations on this wonderful work. I'm sure um, Dr. Vivian is really pleased with it as he looks at what the goings-on here, you know, in this realm from, his, you know, the other realm where he is presently. And perhaps, you know, we can have you on again maybe later on, you know, this year um, to talk more about the work and, and how it's going um, with regards to its reception because we didn't get a chance to nearly touch on <laughs> on his I, wife, I'd and be I really, you know, would love for you to talk about his grandmother and you know his wife. Oh, I'd, I'd be delighted, Wanda. I, I must say, it's always a pleasure to to be interviewed by someone who knows the book, and that's that, this has been most enjoyable because of your your understanding and knowledge. So I'd I'd be delighted to come back whenever you want. Oh, super! Thank you. And and lastly, um, I, I my other guest is in in the uh, studio, but I really wanted to give you an opportunity to say something about Vernon Jordan because I'm sure, <laughs> you know, with your work with Dr. Vivian, you had to have you know had um, I don't know if you had an audience with him, but um, I know you know his. No, work. I didn't. But I mean, I I know. Interestingly, you know, I did. My my politics are very far from the politics of former Secretary of State James Baker, but uh, it was a very it was a very interesting uh, interesting world and his his world and and Vernon Jordan's cross they were both kind of in within the establishment very you know uh, highly respected figures who were very civil and knew how to work behind the scenes very well to achieve their goals, which were very different. I mean, they had very kind of different uh, political goals that they were trying to achieve, but they're, they're kind of, they're kind of parallels in, in that they were this, you know, considered very classy and uh, bright and uh, and very politic as well, but certainly you know uh, Vernon Jordan's uh, resume, uh, his uh, you know his activities in in the South and and elsewhere are are just like Dr. Vivian and and so many of of these of these people that were, you know, devoted their lives to the to the cause or it's it's just wonderful it's, it's sad that he that he passed but you know it one of the one of the great things about Dr. Vivian, you know, was the fact that he lived to 94 a lot, you know, we we lost a lot of heroes 
who were assassinated or or just died young, and and mm-hmm. some of the folks like uh, Vernon Jordan and Dr. Vivian were able to you know continue the battles uh, into their uh, into their later years. Mm-hmm. Right, right, yeah, yeah. Well, cool. Well, thank you so much again, and. Um, Good luck on on the release of the book coming up in a couple of weeks or a week. And, uh, yeah, look forward to having uh, further conversations a little bit later on in the year. Okay. Thanks so much, Wanda. Oh, you're quite welcome. You take good care. Bye-bye. Same. Bye. (laughs) Ah, we are going to be talking to um, directors and – a lot of directors, uh, and about the Women's Voices Now Film Festival, which is taking place, I believe, um, uh, Arianne, Arianne, uh, Arianne, is it um, the 11th of, of March? Hi, Wanda. Um, thank Hi. you so much for having me on. Um, yeah, so um, our festival is coming up very soon on the 11th of March at 11 a.m. Right. Yeah, I um I'm hearing a lot of feedback or something. Um, cuz I I I have um clicked the microphone of one of the directors, but I don't know which one. Um, cuz I don't know the phone um, Yeah. Oh, so no, if you maybe everybody if you could um if you could mute yourself, that would be helpful. Okay, I found the person. <laughs> are, are you still with me? Oh, no. Oh, darn. Got rid of the wrong person. Oops. Darn. Okay, let's try this again. Uh-uh. Hi. Um, is this um, Ariane? Ariane? Oh, no. Oh, shoot. Oops. Can you not hear me? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, um, like I said, I've got three three people, and I didn't know the prefix. <laughs> <laughs> no so worries. no, no, no. So I I, I uh, muted you accidentally, and then I had to go through the whole lineup. <laughs> so I was are. like, Here okay, let's start again. So obviously, um, we're running a little bit late. Don't worry, you'll get your full time. <laughs> so I hope people don't have things like back to back to back. Because that's a, that's sort of like not how we flow here. We sort of like flow, flow, like for real flow. Um, so back to start it again. <laughs> so we're so happy, you know, to have you with us. Um, and pronounce your name for me again. I'm kind of like messing it up, I think. Of course, no worries. Um, it's Ariana. Ariana, like, okay. Uh, and how do you say your last name? <laughs> that's, that's a whole other job. It's uh, Tielenhouse. Tielenhouse. Oh, okay. Yeah. Ariana Tielenhouse. It oh, looks more so complicated hard. than it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not that complicated at all when you know how to say it. <laughs> and exactly. you are the director of programs um, for uh, Women Voices Now Film Festival. And um, I can read your bio if you like. Um, I went to the website, so um, Women Voices Now, and you just go to the um, Our Team. <laughs> 
<laughs> and a lot of great <laughs> women, you know, great photographs. <laughs> Thank you. Thank so, you. We just uh, updated our website, so I'm happy to oh, <laughs> happy to hear the nice. <laughs> Yeah, it looks very good. You've got a great photographer. Um, so you, again, are the Director of Programs and Partnerships Director, and I believe from mm-hmm. yesterday you were saying that you're, you're kind of new to the team. Um, the program has been around mm-hmm. for about 10 years, and, and you just joined about a year or so ago. Yes. Um, yep, that's right. I've been with Women's Voice now for about a year now, um, almost exactly, mm-hmm. actually. Um, okay. So, and it's been it's been a lovely ride so far. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you come to Women's Voices now, as opposed to my reading your bio? Of course, happy to. Um, so, um, as as Wanda mentioned, I'm the director of programs and partnerships for Women's Voices Now. Um, we are a nonprofit organization um, that uses film to um, use a social change film to further women's and r- girls' rights um, around the world. And um, I've been in working in social impact for about almost coming up on 10 years now. Um, but I came to Women's Voices Now because I actually volunteered with them um, at an event um, I, about a year and a half ago now um, that was uh, featuring some of the youth films that come out of our uh, wonderful summer youth program. And so when I when I attended that event, I left just in tears because I was so overpowered by the incredible work that these young women were doing and and the stories that they had to tell um and so i immediately you know connected with our executive director heidi and i said how can i how can i do this how can i stay with y'all um and you know the stars all aligned and and here i am um and i'm very grateful to to be able to do this work um i've i've always been very passionate about women's rights um and about uh furthering kind of social impact uh, both locally and abroad Mm Right, yeah. So tell us about the festival this year and how people can make sure that they are there for all of the, I guess, awards and screenings and talks and all that great stuff that happens, even in a virtual setting. (laughs) Yes, thank you so much for asking that. So our festival, um, it's uh, the, the focus of our festival is to promote women and femme-identifying filmmakers who are telling critical stories about women and girls. Um, we're really thrilled about this year's festival. Our um, speaker, who is Helen Mirren, if you've heard of her, uh, which is pretty amazing, um, and our theme is Stand Up and Be Counted, uh, rewriting convention and challenging injustice to forge a new path ahead. Um, and, and the reason we chose this theme is because all of the incredible films that were submitted and, and that were selected um, tell this year really have been focusing on community, on how women can come together to, you know, to fight, to change, to inspire, um, and, and to move us closer to a world where we have uh, gender equality. Um, our festival, um, as Juana mentioned, our event is taking place next Thursday at 11 a.m. Uh, PST. Um, you can buy tickets um, on Stand and Be Counted 2021.eventbrite.com. Um, I'm sure if you also just kind of go on Eventbrite um, and 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 search for our event, you'll find it there. Or you can go to our website, womensvoicesnow.org, and you'll find all the information you need there. Um, and as a, uh, a ticket holder, you don't just get access to the live event, um, but you will also get access to all of the selected films for one month of on-demand access. Um, so that's really, really exciting. You know, these films are important, and by kind of 
attending the, the festival and watching these films, we're all um, also supporting filmmakers that are telling important stories. Um, and one last thing I'll say, um, and then I, I'd love to hand the mic back, but um, if, <laughs> sure. if individuals are not able to um, purchase tickets because, you know, there's a lot going on in the world and, and we realize that access to financial resources can be a really big barrier, um, all of the information is on our Eventbrite. Um, you're more than welcome to request a waiver code, um, and, and we definitely just want to make sure that everybody can attend the event if they are interested. Um, yeah, thank you so much. Oh, how how lovely. Wow. You all must have a really great fundraiser. I mean, this is like <laughs> so, like, wow. <laughs> how wonderful. Oh, and, um, yeah, do you want to uh, maybe introduce, before you take off, um, our first director who is going to be joining us, um, the director of, um, let's see, uh, Natalie uh, Cook, who is the director of Backwards God. Do you want to introduce her? Sure, absolutely. Um, I'm I'm just really thrilled um, that that a one to thank you so much for providing the space. Um, but we're we're getting the chance to introduce three of the directors who, um, or of the filmmakers really who submitted to our festival. Um, Natalie Cook is actually the director, writer, and producer of Backwards God, which is uh, pretty amazing. Um, and this, this, you know, I'll let her speak to the film because she knows it best. Um, but I, I just want to congratulate her on her work and on, um, yeah, and on, on, you know, focusing her art on, on these critical stories. Um, so really excited for you to chat with her and, and for us all to learn a little more about her inspiration. Okay, super. Well, thank you so much, um, uh, Ariana, uh, for, for joining us and to, you know, just tell us about the, the wonderful Women's Voices uh, Now Film Festival, which is kicking off. At 11, on the 11th <laughs> of March. <laughs> and uh, people can go to the website, Women's Voices Now Film Festival, to get all the details about the festival. And you definitely don't have any reason to not be present. And and we're so excited, Natalie, to have you join us. Uh, your film was phenomenal, Backwards God. The writing is like, oh, my God, so beautiful. Oh, thank you so much. That that truly means everything. And thank you so much for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're quite welcome. Tell us about your film, all those beautiful women and and the men, I guess, who are like allies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> in yes. the work and, and the and the cinematography. Where are you? Where are you? <laughs> where where, uh, you know, where are you shooting? <laughs> Uh, um, so I can definitely cannot take credit for the cinematography. That is my dear, dear friend um, and co-producer, Jason Cermak. Um, and we're both from Atlanta, Georgia, and that's where we filmed it. Um, and, yeah, the inspiration came um, from I, – I originally wrote the poem a few years ago, and I wrote it because um, I unfortunately experienced um, – a lot of harrowing events um, that I didn't really know how to process. And I've been a poet my whole life. And um, after I experienced, like, um, harassment and other things, it took me a long time um, to be able to write. But then once I sat down and write, Backwards God just came out um, all in one sitting. And, you know, usually I have to go back and edit poems, but Backwards God, it just, it is what it is. Um, and then when I decided to pursue filmmaking as a career a few years later, 
Um, I kept, I've written so many scripts that I don't like, that I don't want to um, make. And I, but I really, really, really wanted to make something at that time. And so I went back to Backwards God because Backwards God has always been very, very special to me. And I was like, okay, let's make this into a short film. And Jason was down. And um, yeah, I was, we both uh, produced it together and I wrote and directed it and he was a cinematographer and we just pulled our resources together and that's what you see. Um, and yeah, and all the women and men that are in the film, um, I know either I know them or they just wanted to be a part of it. They they supported uh, the meaning behind it so much that they just wanted to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and you know the women you know are in ceremonial white, some of them, and particularly you know in some of the scenes, and you know there's a real spiritual context to the work. And and we see women who are pregnant, right? And then, yes. and then in one of the parts, you're, you're, you know, you have, um, I think it's you walking down the road, and you're carrying a bag, and that what, what you say there is like really nice. <laughs> um, and and just <laughs> and then it's about like, okay, what if I take off my makeup, right? Um, you know, something. And you, you know what you said, mm-hmm. but it was like, yeah, like can I be a person and not a thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, like just sort of commodification of, 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 of women and, you know, all these women are black women, so it's like, and then we think about yep. sort of black women not being people, right? You know, think about, mm-hmm. you know, our ancestors, Sojourner mm-hmm. Truth, and how, like, well, damn it, women. Like, I'm here trying to get the vote with you, and, like, you, you, you're, like, questioning my, my humanity? Like, like yep. what, do I have to take off my clothes? Like, what? <laughs> um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So all that exactly kind of, like, Sojourner Truth did. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, she did. Like, you know, okay, well, you, you know, like I do a strip tease here, right? <laughs> you know, I shaded her memory. Um, yeah, it's just so so beautiful, and it's like so multi leveled, and it's so like affirming, right? It's just so yeah. So, why don't you give us a little bit of your poetry um, <laughs> from from yeah, the film? Sure. You know? Yeah. Okay. Um, well, first, I just want to say thank you so much for uh, everything you're saying because. Um, yeah, it it shows that you just really, really received the piece, and um, it, it it makes me emotional just you, hearing you um, speak about it. But um, let me see an excerpt of the piece. Um, unless unless you rather like, share something else from your repertoire. I mean, since you are a poet, <laughs> we'll take something else, whatever you like, something fresh, something new, something un unshared before. That's good oh, too. That's so generous. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I can. Do you mind if I just share uh, maybe the beginning of Backwards God? Is that okay? Whatever you like is fine. Okay. Um, I'll do um, uh, the first few stanzas. Okay. When man made God in his image, he took a rib from his flesh and gave it to the woman as bone. When the woman grew a tail and had it shoved between her legs, She was beckoned to sit and pose as man's best friend. The womb is the center of creation. We give all praise to the Holy Father, for it is through he that we are children, without mothers. The carrier is not God enough to be translator. Woman always has a man behind, trying to bend her over. If Adam and Eve were the first people. How did woman's name become the abbreviation of evil when it is Adam's apple still lodged in man's throat? We throw trash into the earth and call her mother. 
it makes sense as to why women are still treated as if we have masters. Man gives earth the same gender he oppresses. Mm -hmm. And those are just the first couple of stanzas of the poem. Yeah, powerful, powerful. Yeah. So when did you make the film? Are are the mothers still, I mean, are the women still pregnant or have the babies been born? (laughs) (laughs) So beautiful. The babies have been born. Um, We made it in 2019. Um, and yeah, actually, um, it's so funny. One of the women in the film, I didn't, there were, there were two pregnant women in there and I didn't know one of them was pregnant at the time. I didn't know until she showed up, um, to this <laughs> shoot. and I was like, wow, how beautiful. Um, and she's a dancer actually. And it's just so beautiful to watch her, um, as a mother now, um, and how mm-hmm. she's incorporated her motherhood into her practice. Um, it's so beautiful to watch, but yeah. The babies have been born, um, and Jason and I were actually um, working on our next um, project, but that probably won't come out until 2023, I'm thinking, because we're going to make a feature film. So yeah, oh, so, but nice. we're um, but we're gonna release like um, so it's really cool, oh. but it's taking us some time. Oh, can you tell us what the 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 work in progress is about? Is it about the children? Absolutely. Um, um, I well, you know, if you look at it in a poetic way, I guess, but um, not directly. <laughs> um, it's called the memory of soil, um, and it's mm. about a young woman who's a senior in college, and she's researching um, epigenetics in the context of lynching and how um, trauma has been passed through the DNA um, to black Americans um, who are the descendants of lynching victims. And she um, is studying these postcards, these lynching postcards, um, because they actually would take pictures of these lynchings and put them on postcards and send them to each other, these white people. Um, And so she's studying these postcards, and on one of the postcards, she actually discovers the name of her great-grandfather. And so throughout the movie, she's, like, exploring her family history and seeing how that history has shaped her present. Um, And it's very um, um, experimental and a lot of magical realism. Um, is within the film, and so it's been really hard for me because, as you know, it's so hard to look at these images, and um, it's already hard, like, our lived experiences, and then to go back and, like, see everything um, that has happened up until this point um, to our people, it's just, it's extremely, extremely hard to write, but um, it feels like I'm supposed to be writing it. Mm, wow, wow. Yeah, you mentioned that you're um you're in Georgia in Atlanta or this this particular film that we're speaking of um Backwards God was shot in Atlanta. So you're a southerner. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, and and you know, you're telling telling, you know, these stories from our community and I just think that's really cool. And you mentioned how you you know you've been a poet all along, and and then you went back to school and you became a director, you know, a filmmaker, and I'm like, okay, that's that's good, that's great. So um, could you talk <laughs> to us a little bit about that process, like sort of like what were you doing before you did that? <laughs> I feel like you see me um, <laughs> because you know that has been like my whole thing these past couple of years, trying to figure out how to. Uh, 
be a poet and filmmaker at the same time. And then I realized there's nothing to figure out. But um, before all this, um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've been a poet forever, literally forever. Um, and I've been in theater too. So I've done like hip hop theater and like, it's always been poetry incorporated in everything I do. And um, I went to a performing arts high school and they had a media program. So that was really cool. So that's how I got introduced to film in high school. I just um, didn't take it further until a few years ago, but um, yeah, I was actually running um, a nonprofit in Atlanta called Atlanta WordWorks, and um, it's for youth poets. So anyone from the ages of 13 to 19 can go and take writing workshops and do poetry slams and compete in Brave New Voices, which is um, the international oh, poetry I know Brave slams. New Voices. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah we have yeah, it here yeah, in the Bay so, Area. Yeah, California. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. You speak. Yeah, they're the founders. Yes. Yeah. Um, yes, I know. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So I uh, would coach the team from Atlanta every year. And then um, once at Atlanta WordWorks merged with another organization called Vox ATL, that's when I moved to New York because I just needed to make sure Atlanta WordWorks was taken care of. So as soon as that oh. happened, that's when I moved to New York to finally pursue filmmaking because I've always been a student and an artist and helping teenagers, even when I was a teenager. So I feel like I never really had the room to just fully commit to what I wanted to do. Um, mm-hmm. So that was like my ticket. And I came here and I've been here trying to learn as much about filmmaking um, as I can ever since I've gotten here. Oh, well, you're you're a very good student because your film, Backwards God, is is just so so lovely. You know, it's going to be one of those keepers. You know, people are going to be watching this film, you know, when you're not here anymore. It's one of those, you know, it's a oh. classic. Oh, you're going to make it's me cry. Really, really um. lovely. <laughs> it's heckin' lovely. <laughs> yeah, oh, wow. yeah. Thank Don't you. Miss Thank it, you so much. It's really beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Wow, wow. Um, well, I'm going to be in touch with you, and I hope you stay in touch with me. Um, I, want to, I want to introduce you to a, a sister um, who's in Chicago who um, – She's uh she's African of African descent, um, and she's also Jewish. And and this was a film that was part of the San Francisco Jewish Film Festival last season, last year. And um and and she she does a she does a pilgrimage and goes and looks for her ancestors. Um Ooh. and it takes her to um the Confederate South. And, wow. and and I think she goes with her mother but she's going in search of an ancestor, a history that she was not aware of. And so I was just thinking you might you all might want to talk to each other because of the work that you're doing now, you know, with your um your cinematographer. Sounds like a similar Absolutely. kind of uncovering. Mhm. Yeah. Cool, cool. Um do you want to give your website or something um before we shift over to um your uh, your other, your colleague uh, Alicia Cunningham, who's going to talk about her film. Do you, do you have a website or something you'd like to share with um, our audience? Um, I don't have a website, uh, but I have an Instagram. It's just Natalie Sierra Cook, um, and also Jason and I. We have created our own production company, and it's called mm-hmm. Little Light pictures like this little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine so little light pictures and we're on Instagram um so that's where I can be found right now and yay to the next filmmaker Alicia who's about to speak and thank you again so much and I'm so excited to connect with your friend oh my gosh like yeah all the things so thank you thank you so much (laughs) 
Oh, well, thank you, and congratulations on this, this wonderful, wonderful film that is just so lovely. And thank you so much for sharing, you know, some of the poem with us. We appreciate it. Of course. Thank you. <laughs> All right. You take good care. You too. Goodbye. Bye. Peace and blessings. So, uh, Miss Alicia Cunningham, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me oh. today. Oh, I'm fine. I am more than my hair. I think about that song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. In diary, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What you know? What a wonderful project. I mean, you know, not only do you have this film, you know, you've got a book. I mean, it's like a sort of like a mission. Like you are on a mission. Yes, it really. And yeah. um, and it's an important mission too, right? I mean, we are not how long our locks are, right? Like, okay, so we're exactly. in this tower. And we have no locks to throw down, so we're, like, stuck, right? Nobody's coming to get us. Like, okay, well, right. we need to learn how to, like, make ropes and things like that. Right. <laughs> so we can travel, you know, as independent right. women and girls. Yeah. Yes, yeah. definitely. So, so tell us yeah. about yourself. Um, I mean, I could read your bio, but then, you know, you know who you are. Um, so okay. Uh, tell, us, tell us how you mm-hmm. came to this particular project because um, it's, so, it's really unique um, that you would yeah, be looking you. at. Uh, women's hair loss, and not just women, but mothers of children yes. whose hair right. is falling out or falling out, and and how even a kid, like a little bitty girl, would mm-hmm. feel like her identity is really adversely affected by not having hair. Like, like yeah. where did that come from? You just got here. Yeah, I, <laughs> right. I know. Um, so my name is Alicia Cunningham, and I'm um, I'm an author, filmmaker, photographer. So I'm more than my hair is actually my first. Uh, um, film, and um, I came to the story of the idea of I'm more than my hair based on I'm an, an experience with cutting my hair. So I did a big chop um, back in 2013 when I was um, preparing for my first um, my first book, so my book launch of my book, Feminine Transitions. And um, after I posted that I was um, cutting my hair and donating it to a um, for the big chop. Um, for an organization that raises proceeds for the medical treatment of cancer for women of color. Um, mm-hmm. And I was shocked at the response that I received. A, a lot of people criticized me for cutting my hair. I had locks at that time. Um, I heard so many Bible, I didn't realize that there's so many Bible verses about a woman in her hair and, and the, you know, saying that she's cursed if she doesn't have hair, if she's born without it, if she loses it. Um, and in response to the, really like to the naysayers, um, it was actually uh, having a conversation with a woman uh, while she was in the store with her daughter, and since she knows me because she, she was attending my book launch, um, she told me that, you know, you shouldn't have cut your hair um, because you're getting ready to have this launch, and your hair is a part of your identity, and it's your strength, and it's your beauty. You know, aren't you worried that people aren't going to recognize you anymore? So I asked her um, as her daughter was standing. At that point, I was really um, pissed off, to be honest. Um, and I said, um, would you tell your daughter that she's no longer beautiful if she lost her hair? And um, so she kind of questioned She's, I can see, see her there thinking, and I know it's because she's trying to watch her, her words because her daughter's standing there. But as she was thinking, I started thinking. I was like, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on a project, and I'll show people that, um, that we are not out here. So that's how I came up, long story short, but that's how I came up with the idea um, behind the project. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, and yeah. then the book that you mentioned um, that mm-hmm. preceded um, this particular project, what's the book about? Mm-hmm. Prior to I Am More Than My Hair? Yeah, you mentioned... Or I Am More Than um, My Hair. Feminine Transitions, no, I, yes. Yeah, that one, yeah, yes. Yes, so Feminine Transitions is, that was actually another project that came out of me being oh. um, a little upset about uh, people, you know, um, 
the photographers really um, photoshopping, and um, oh. I felt like the, the whole digital manipulation thing was out of hand. So I wanted to. I took pictures of 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 girls and women. So the youngest was six weeks, the oldest was 103. And um, so the requirement was no makeup. 103? Whoa. 103, right. Stop. Yeah, she to be 106. Stop, stop, stop. <laughs> Who in the heck? Really? Where? Yeah. I want to go live in that place. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So just all raw pictures, no Photoshop, no accessories. Um, mm. And, and mm-hmm. in order for them to be included, there was no makeup, no accessories. Um, just raw okay. beauty. And to prove that, you know, we are beautiful, we don't have to have, do the digital manipulation or have makeup on. Uh, to be beautiful, mm-hmm. yeah. Nice. So where, yeah. where, where, uh, where did your, um, or does your, your model who is a hundred and well, who lived to be a hundred and six, mm-hmm. where, where does she live? What, what place? She's in um, D.C. So she's in Washington, Northwest Washington, D.C. That's where she lives. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Came here wow. from Mississippi. Yeah. She, she had a. Okay. I, I felt honored to be in her presence. You know. You know. She had a long um, story to tell. You know, a lot to say. Um, mm-hmm. It's really nice here. Oh, so is that a film yeah. too? No, but you know, I actually thought about it. I was like, I should have, you know, maybe kind of. I'm kind of in the space of maybe I should go back because people keep asking me if I'm going to do a second edition of the book. So I'm like, maybe I should mm-hmm. just do a, you know, like a short film. Um, yeah, I, I'm considering it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, let me know. And yeah. is your book available? Um, that uh, yeah. feminine transition is it available still? It is. So it's, still, it's available. I have it. I'm selling it on Amazon, and I'm also um, selling it on my website, uh, Alicia.com. That's A L Y S T I A um dot com is on there uh, on my shop. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh wow. Wow. So let's yeah. go go back to um um you know to your to your film um I am more than okay. my hair and yeah. uh yeah just talk about you know the women that you in in the in the the, the mother and her child that you interviewed yeah. um I I saw the link um a little bit late this morning okay. so I wasn't able to watch okay. it all but I think I watched about 10 minutes of it. Um okay. so I haven't seen it all so but yeah, tell us okay. a little bit about okay. about you know who's in it and yeah. Yeah, so there's a, a little girl. Okay. Okay, yeah, sorry about that. So there is a little girl, the youngest. Um actually she was the only um little girl that a parent gave the okay to do the interview. Um mm. um Natalie and Gracie. Gracie's a is the daughter. And um, a lot of moms didn't want to, they said they, they didn't want to put their children in a space to be on a film or in a book um, just because of the, the, the teasing and bullying that was already going on at school. Um, mm. Oh, yeah. And so although I felt there was a, a space to kind of educate people, you know, because most oftentimes ignorance, you know, the, the bullying comes out of ignorance as well. Um, but um, she um, was seven years old at, at that time, and um, she lost her hair uh, so oftentimes when someone does have hair loss, it's usually associated, which is alopecia, um, it's usually associated with a health condition. And um, her health condition um, was related to food, a uh, food allergy, um, oh. which caused her hair to fall out. Um, and then I had Marguerite. I don't think you, since you only saw 10 minutes, you didn't see Marguerite yet, but she's blind. And she lost oh. her hair um, uh, as a side effect of taking the medication to prevent her blindness. It actually... Um, made her hair fall out. And um, her perspective was just beautiful to me, like how she saw the world and how she viewed beauty um, without the sense of sight, um, which actually so, inspired so me she, to uh, the documentary. Oh, so she Sorry. lost um, she lost her hair anyway. I mean, no, she lost her sight anyway and her hair. Too. Yes, and her hair, right, yes. Well, right. Wow. So as she was transitioning, okay. as she was losing her sight, they, the doctor had prescribed mm-hmm. her medication and then she lost her hair. 
okay. Yeah, in the process. Yeah, right? and so it's a and site, a site but it didn't it didn't save a site. I mean, that was the whole. No, point it didn't save a site. Right. Yeah, exactly. It didn't save a site. Right. Yeah, not at all. Mm. Yeah. Oh, so that's yeah. another way that people can actually lose their hair is from um, the side effect of medication, the food, and then. Mm. There was um, uh, Naya, who I think I think she she was, she was in there before the ten minutes, but she um, Naya lost her hair from chemotherapy, from uh, uh, radiation for cancer treatment. Um, mm-hmm. So even though you lose your hair from can't from radiation, it's still alopecia, um, which just means like a universal term for hair loss. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a few other women. One in San Diego, Mary, same thing, alopecia. Hers are autoimmune um, condition. Um, another woman, Janice, who lost her hair, and then she, but she lost it due to cancer, uh, but she cut, she kept it short in solidarity of her sisters who lost their lives from cancer. So she keeps it short, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and tribute to them. Right. Yeah, but that's that's majority. Yeah, that's the uh, the feature featured um, oh. women film. Yeah. So so tell us like about yourself, like your call to like lift these stories about. Women and um, and beauty, yes. Where where people are, I mean, that are sort of non non conforming beauty, right? Wait, exactly. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, so yes. so so where does that come from in you as as an artist as a creator? Like this is I really, really lovely. It's like a, yeah, it's thank almost you. like you're an activist too, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I really do feel. Um. I mean, aside from I feel like a, there's multiple levels of activism are also within my the county. That's a whole other subject, but um, but uh, it, it is um activism, and it's really um it it stems from, and I had to I had to think about it. You know, that stemmed from an experience as a child. So I grew up in a household. Um, my family is from Trinidad. I'm a first generation uh, here in the states, but he uh, my father was really adamant about beauty and. Um, always made it his duty to tell me every day that I was beautiful and like my my hair natural is is beautiful the way it is. I don't need makeup. I heard that all you know constantly. So there was a constant reassurance at home, um, mm-hmm. and and him always telling my mother that um, as well. But then mm-hmm. I had an experience with an auntie. Uh, I moved from New York, and actually I wasn't. I didn't move from New York yet, but um, getting ready to move in the transition, and I was a little stressed out with leaving New York to come to Maryland because I didn't like Maryland. And um, I started, I think because of the stress, I started, my, my pimples started growing, plus this puberty mixed in, you know, started growing in my face. And my auntie saw me, um, who I grew up with, and she said to me, my great aunt, and she said to me, um, Alisa, you used to be beautiful, but now you're getting ugly. And uh, I think in that, and, and that was the one time, you know, all that I've heard, beauty, like I was beautiful all my life, that was the first mm-hmm. time I actually questioned it. And I questioned, and I don't know for whatever reason why that one comment, you know, out of all the hundreds of comments that I've heard, that was the one comment that kind of knocked me, knocked me, um, it kind of knocked me off, you know, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And it took me some time to kind of get back. And my father, when I spoke to my father, and he was like, "Ah, oh, you know, don't worry about it." He spoke to my aunt, and um, you know, years. This is this is a long story behind that. But years later, when we and her spoke, and she's passed away um, since. Mm-hmm. But um, I think it was that feeling of having a uh, feeling not beautiful then yeah. that actually kind of sparked the conversations of me. Um, not in wanting other people to feel, including my children, that was, which is the first thing is in my household mm-hmm. first. Um, right. You know, so I started to like the work, a lot of the work I do was based off of that experience. Um, and that was sparked from a photographer who saw a picture, this was years ago when I first started photography, of a pregnant woman that I took. And she um, she said I should never show a picture to a woman who's pregnant 
without photoshopping her stretch marks because it's ugly. And that's what started my first, that's what started feminine transition. Uh-huh. You know, so it's, it's kind of gone on since then. But I think that word kind of triggered mm-hmm. me to, you know, yeah. And I thought it was ridiculous, you know, because she's pregnant. We, go, we, we, we grow stretch marks, you know, it's a part of the process. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's how I was really yeah. thought of yeah, my journey you- with, as an author. Right, right, and and yeah. the stretch marks are part of the journey of childbirth, yeah. right? It sort of like shows where right. you've been. Like if you got the marks, it's like, yeah, you really did do that, right? Right, <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, why would yeah. you want to take a journey and, and and then get rid of all of right. the evidence that you went there? Yeah, exactly. Right, that's how I feel. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well said. <laughs> uh, wow, yeah. Right. Yeah, because you're, you know, you're a pretty, um, you know, well-known um you know, entrepreneur, author, filmmaker, and photographer, you know, because you've got, you know, work uh, at the Smithsonian, National Geographic, Discovery Channel, and AOL. So, like, are you are you working on any other projects simultaneously, um, commercially? Um, I am. As you, as you yeah. do your own? Yeah, so um, I'm working on actually another film. Um, and uh, because of the pandemic, um, I'm not doing mm-hmm. any in-person right now, although my first will be a doctor uh, next month. But um, so actually, Marguerite, the woman who was in my first film, My Mother, My Hair, who's blind, she and mm-hmm. her view on beauty encouraged me to do another um, something on um, I'm titled it Seeing right now. So it's it's uh, women who are blind and how they just how they maneuver through the world and how they view beauty without the sense of mm-hmm. sight. I just I, I wanted to hear that perspective. Um, and then I'm also so I'm a, aside from documentaries, which is my um, one of my favorite uh, genres. My second favorite genre um, is is mm-hmm. horror. Um, so oh, I'm actually, really. <laughs> yes, I love horror. Oh, I love true okay. horror stories. Um, so I'm um, not gruesome. I don't like gruesome. I like um, you know, like psychological spirit, um, yeah. you know, things like that. Nice. So I'm. Uh, I I finished my uh, I, I finished my first horror feature um, through Sundance um, workshop that I did, oh. and I'm going back. Congratulations! And I, nice. Thank you, thank you. Yes, I plan on actually going to direct it um, next year. So that's like I'm okay. planning for that right now. Yeah. Oh, oh, keep keep me posted. Um, so is this yeah. horror? Is it is it black women? I mean, is it in our? What it is. is. It? What's the yeah, name? definitely. <laughs> so that's the thing is that when you see horror, the first people to die are black. Um, uh, and then if it is women, it's like the damsel in distress. So I wanted to completely, um, change the perspective. Um, I have so the lead actors are or actresses is a, is a black um woman and uh and a Latina woman, um, mm-hmm. and together they are. Um, the black woman, they're both um, they're both successful. Although I don't make that like the main point of it, but I just, you know, I want to I want them to come out of a space where they, um, you know, like they they can hold their own. Um, mm-hmm. The one, the black woman who is a um, a pediatric uh, neuro uh, surgeon um, has the ability to see spirit, so she connects with the spirit world. And um, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's a it's a journey where they have to go through. They actually they're going on a camping trip. And they see um, a sign about Negro Mountain, which still exists. There's a sign that says um, "Welcome to Negro Mountain." It's, it's they still label it as Negro Mountain, and um, it's between Pennsylvania and Maryland. Um, oh, okay. And so that kind of starts the journey, and they realize that they are now that this camp retreat is actually a cult that lures people in from social media through the phone. Um, and then you know, so at the end they do they don't die. I wanted to make sure they don't they don't stab each other in the back. I just wanted two strong mm-hmm. women of color to be. Um, you know, in the film, and they and they survive mm-hmm. together in figuring it out. Oh, yeah. that sounds really yeah. cool. Yeah, so yeah. are you a fan of Octavia Butler? Um, not so 
so much the the drama. A little, I don't really, I don't really like drama too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I mean, she's a great, uh, I mean, great actor, actor. No, Octavia Butler, the writer. <laughs> oh, the, the side writer. No. Yeah. Octavia oh, Butler. okay. Sorry, sorry. I, I'm. I don't know why I thought about the lady in um, Tyler Perry's uh. Um, oh, oh no, not film. no, not not. No, not the uh, not the actress. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yes, yes, yes. I am actually. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe, uh, might have to do a collab. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's really yeah. cool. So, um, so you've got characters that um can see into different realms of existence. Yes. Right. Yes. Nice. Yes, nice. One. That's great. Yeah. 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 And it's not gory. I don't like gory. Um. Uh, horror either, I, although yeah, although the yeah. one or although the non gory, it stays with you so long. I mean, you could be thinking about the film like your film maybe for years to come. Right, <laughs> but if they're that they're that much. They're more scarier, I think. It is, yeah, I agree. Because you know, you want to hear the story. You want to know, you know, the storyline. Anybody can kill, or even like sexual acts. I just feel like that's just kind of laziness, just to put that in there and not really consider a storyline. You know, so um, mm-hmm. it's just not in there. You know. Yeah. Well give yeah. us your website again, spell it out for folks so they can definitely stay in touch. You have a very nice website. Thank you. So it's Alicia dot com and that's A L Y S C I A um dot com. And um okay, I, I'm cool. also having an upcoming exhibit coming up, um for anybody who's in oh, the DC right, area. Right. Yeah. That's this um, month. Yes. yes. Yes, that's this month. March nineteenth it launches and, and I made it accessible for um people with hearing and vision loss. Um, so they can also enjoy the experience with audio description and 3D prints that can be touched, although it can't be touched now because of restrictions, but hopefully it will be loosened by, you know, within a few weeks or a few months. Um, but that's on my website as well, on my events page. So you mean the actual um, tactile aspect can be something that you can do virtually? Is that what you're saying? Oh, no, so because, yeah, you can't do that virtually, but you can hear the audio okay. description um, virtually mm-hmm. of the stories, but that won't be live until March 19th is, um, as well. Yeah, but in person okay, yeah. at the Sandy Spring Museum. If anybody's in the the Maryland DC area, um, they can mm-hmm. visit. They can actually they have to sign up online because of COVID. You got to sign up and and you know get tickets to come. But it's for free. It's free for the community. Mhm. Right. Yeah, I tried yeah. to do that last night, but um, it was taking too long. So I was like, oh, I have to go do that later. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. 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 You okay. are you are really yeah. a busy woman. Um. Yeah. So <laughs> we're a little bit over, yeah. but one more thing I wanted to ask you. Um. So where did you get your training and and uh and advice for for young people that are interested in um in uh you know in film and you know in this variety of ways you know moving film and photography Oh well actually so I'm so photography I did the school um so actually that, that was my major in school but um oh. film I'm I'm self-taught I just you know I did it on my own but then after I started doing it I went back and I did take an editing class which I think is important um, so I learned how to edit, but I think really it's just a matter of when you really want to do something, um, YouTube is really, I feel like YouTube is university. Um, I, I fixed my car on YouTube, you know, so there's a lot of videos yeah. on there that you can go on YouTube. Wow. Oh, yeah, yeah, I can, anything that I need to get done, if I can't figure something out, I go on YouTube and do a search. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so anyone who wants to actually get into it, um, film, photography, art, anything, um, there's a lot. I, I do, I do, I'm, I'm, um, I'm adamant about um also going to take courses, I think it's important. So sometimes you can go to a, a community college and you can take a course based on your interest. Right. But also, mm-hmm. you know, 
the world is really at your in your hands, really. You know, you can go on YouTube and, and learn how to do it online, but it's just making that decision to do it. You can do planning, which is great. Planning is really good. Uh, it's important. It's an important phase, but just doing it is more more important than anything else. So, so when you have a, a when you have a thought, I think just when you go at it, um, the universe figures out a way. Your ancestors, I believe that wholeheartedly, um, will figure a way out how to to carve a space for you to to do what you want to do. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. awesome. Congratulations, uh, Alicia. Thank you for um, for all of this wonderful work around um, you know sort of uh, bringing people who are are present into the light, you know, like, because if, you. if you're not, if, if no one sees you, you don't exist. I mean, exactly. you know you do, right. but you really don't feel like you right. do because nobody, everybody's yeah. walking by you, walking through you, walking into you, you know. Right. And yeah. so with your work, right. you know, Feminine Transitions and um, in the current work, I'm More Than My Hair, and the follow-up yeah. work, you know, seeing, um, because, you know, a lot of times you don't know a person, um, I mean, with hair, you definitely can see that, but Sometimes you know we have different different abilities, and they're not really disabilities. They're just a different way right. of moving through the through the world, exactly. right? They're yes, they're they're true. hidden, like right. you know. And so, yes. and and so you know, people are making all these assumptions that oh, this person can see when, and so things are not accessible. That's what's really wonderful about this art exhibit that you mentioned. Yes. That you're sort of thinking about the different audiences and how to make it so that everyone who wants to participate. You know who who can participate in a virtual setting will be able to participate. Um, yes. You know, given right. the fact that we can't, you know, go, you know, we can't move around like we used to right at the moment. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So this is yeah. really, really wonderful. Congratulations on on all of your ideas. Thank you so much. <laughs> and all of your <laughs> work, you. and and definitely look forward to you know seeing and and you know and and coming to the art exhibit and just being in touch. So please, you know, keep my number. Let me know what you're up to. I will. Okay. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on the show. Oh, you're welcome. Congratulations on, you know, being a part of this wonderful Women's Voices Now Film Festival. It's going to be yes, really thank awesome. Thank you. I'm excited. Yeah, it looks, sounds very exciting. I'm, I'm excited about mm-hmm. it. All, All right. right. You, you take a care. Thanks for having me again. So you too. You're All welcome. Right, take care. All right. Bye. Peace and blessings. Bye. Right. Peace. Bye. Bye-bye. So we are concluding our um, really wonderful conversations with directors of films that are part of Women's Voices Now Film Festival with uh, Ingrid Rogers, Liberate. <laughs> Good morning, Hi Ingrid. There. How are you? Hi. I'm great, Wanda. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're quite welcome. It's been really lovely, you know, speaking to your other, you know, director, producer sisters, you know, that are part of this uh, wonderful um, film festival that I had known about um, until... Uh, last month. <laughs> yeah. So, so. Well, I, I'm looking forward to to seeing some of the films too. It's my first time um, having a film in this festival, so um, mm-hmm. I'm excited to see some of the other entries. Mhm. Right. Yeah. And you are you are very famous. <laughs> yeah, well, I wanted to talk a little bit about you know um, you know your your film. Um, yeah, it's almost like you know, like you you know it's called liberate, but it's really a celebration. I, I certainly agree. Yeah, you talk about about your film, but also talk about you know your career as an actress, um, and now director, and in you know and, and you live in Southern California, and you know you've had some really long runs with some of these um, 
you know, I don't know if they still call them soap operas. That might be an old word for it now. Do they have a new term for that? <laughs> I, I think they um, still call it that. Back, back in the day, they okay. called it stories, the stories, too. Okay, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, and then you mentioned sure. um, some of your work with some of these directors that, yeah, I mean, like Al Pacino, like, really? Like, wow, really? <laughs> and that was when you were just starting yeah. out, and you talk about, you know, going to New York and, um, you know, um, having to really rough it because you wanted to, you know, to tell stories because you felt, you know, mm. called to this, almost like a, yeah, it was like a sacred calling, you know. Well, just tell us your story. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so let me just, I just do want to clarify that I actually didn't direct Liberate. I am the, okay. I wrote it and I produced it. And okay. um, a dear friend of mine, Kai Lavender, who's a, a wonderful filmmaker, came on board. But let me just, I'll back up and tell you a little bit about me. Um, yes, I am primarily an actress, and I've been in the business for quite some time. I started my career on a soap opera called All My Children. And um, most recently, I have been on and, and let me, the Amazon. And let me interrupt you there. Let me interrupt you there. All yeah. My Children is a classic. It's like, you know... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that if, if, was, even if know, for those who don't watch them, everyone knows all my children, right? I mean, there were just some it, some that they lasted for years and years, like they kept on, you know, oh, yeah. being having new seasons and new seasons. <laughs> oh yeah, it went on. I mean, I don't even know what the runtime was. I want to say over thirty years. Unfortunately, it is not on anymore, but it was definitely one of the you know, the ones that was on the ABC platform and it was always um, ABC Network was like either number one or number two. I think we bounced back and forth between General Hospital. But, um, yeah, that was uh, that was my first job. That's where I began my career. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, yeah, most recently I've been on the Amazon show um, Bosch and I did uh Five seasons on that, and that show just ended. Also, um, they just finished shooting, and the season will air coming up soon, probably this spring, I believe. So, I I'll just tell you then how I came to to liberate. I've done other um, short films that I've written before, and this one just it actually came out for me as more an expression, almost like a, a piece of poetry when I wrote it and um, I was, it was a point for me just as a woman, as a woman of color, feeling like I wasn't fully being seen and heard in all of who I am. And it, I was frustrated and I just needed to express that. And it came out on, on paper, just, you know, like we are multidimensional. We are not just, one emotion or, you know, one viewpoint. We are, we embody just a, a humanness that is, you know, that encompasses all kinds of viewpoints and feelings, emotions, expressions. So I wrote this and then I just happened to have dinner with my, my friend, uh, Kaya, and I told her about, I told her about it, I shared it with her and she loved it. And uh, we decided to, to bring it to life. And she really, um, you know, 
I had a, I had a vision for it in terms of the style that I wanted to shoot it in, but she really brought it to life with just the images and and her husband is a wonderful um, director of photography, so he came on as our cinematographer and uh, and it was uh, just a really wonderful creative expression and I'm so happy that it's you know it's getting a little bit of love in the festival circuit and and people are are seeing it so I'm I'm very pleased with that. Yes. Yes, it is. It is really, really beautiful. Cause when when it starts, it's like, okay, what's this about, right? Um, because yeah. of the title, you know, liberate. It's like, okay, yeah. <laughs> and and you know, we yeah. just see you, you know, just looking like fabulous. I mean, it's just like oh. black woman, fabulous. Like, okay, you know, like yes. in, in the shots, like you mentioned, you know, with your your you know your cinematographer, you know, like all the way to the shoes, right? We just like mm. we get a chance to like really just sort of. Uh, sort of be, you know, in these moments that might pass by really quickly if, if it wasn't, you know, sort of uh, planned the way it is, you know, because when we see people, we don't necessarily, we just sort of glance as opposed to, like, really mm. look. And so in the film, it allows us, the way it's shot, to look at you, like, you yeah. know, and just, yeah. like, and just let you, like, we don't really have any preconceptions, Um Unless a person knows, you know, you and they're going to the film because they know you. <laughs> but if if a person is, you know, yeah. in the audience and, and doesn't have any idea, and and for me, I was attracted by, by the title, um, mm. and didn't quite know what to expect. So yeah, it's uh, it's really lovely. Um, yeah. Thank you. Know, you. And just that, what you said yeah. there, I mean, mm-hmm. I think you summarized it so well. Is that yeah? I I I that's what I wish for all you know, all women and especially all women of color that you you don't look at us with a preconceived idea. You just simply look at us and then allow who we are to unfold and embrace who we are in that unfolding. Um, and so that that ultimately is, I titled it Liberate. We titled it Liberate just to allow us to be free in that expression and, and seen as, you know, really full dynamic human beings, and I think mm-hmm. that is that is happening more and more, especially in um, the entertainment industry in the last couple of years. You know, we've seen some wonderful recognition for for women of color. Regina King. Um, oh, I'm totally yeah. blanking on her name. But, uh, Zendaya. Um, you know, we're seeing that more and more, and uh, even recently. I think it's in the category of director with three female directors at the Golden Globes. And um, uh, is it Chloe Shaw? I think her name is. And she won for Best Picture. And that, that was quite an accomplishment, you know, as, a, as um, our, our, our world is changing. And so that, that makes me happy to see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. What was the film um, that uh, had the three women? Was that the one... Um, about the um, <clears throat> it was set in uh, the South in New Orleans um, was one of those. Chloe Shaw, that one. Yeah, that, uh-huh. the Chloe Shaw. It was Nomadland. Nomadland. That, okay. that was the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it's a beautiful film, also beautifully shot. Just the images are gorgeous. The acting is amazing. You almost feel like you're watching a documentary. Mm. Oh, yeah. okay, I have to look that up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah wow. definitely. Mm-hmm. It's worth seeing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you. So, yeah, I so when I wrote this was 2019. 
2019, I think. Um, yeah, 2019. It was, you know, sort of just before our whole world turned upside down last year and just our, our cries and, you know, desires for social justice. And 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 I, I think it was just really timely. Like we were all sort of feeling that, that percolating. The Me Too movement had started. And so we were all just feeling that, you know, that, that unrest in life that we want to be seen, we want to be heard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I was looking at, at your various bios um, uh, mm-hmm. last night, this morning, <laughs> mm-hmm. early yeah. this morning, uh, I was looking at, you know, like, I looked at the one on your website and then the one um, the one uh, that, um, the longer than the short one, the short one was really, really short. And, uh, oh, the and mini bio, like, well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and then, like, where's your Jamaican roots part, right? So, um, oh. yeah, like. Yeah, so, like, give yeah. us the, like, deep stuff. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. So um, I was born Toronto and raised my first nine years in Jamaica, West Indies. Both of my parents are Jamaican. Um, so I have deep roots that are Jamaican. Unfortunately, I haven't after I left at nine years old. I've only been back twice since then, and I haven't been back in such a long time and it is some it is calling my name I keep I have a friend who last year during the pandemic moved to Jamaica and she's just loving it there she moved with her husband and her two boys and and raising her her kids there now um I you know it is it is part of my experience it's you know it's who I am and it's informed the way I see the world as a woman of color living in America which is a whole different um experience than than in in some ways you know it's shaped me differently than being an african american woman being born here and raised here it's just a different it's an immigrant experience and it's uh my experience, if that makes sense. Right, right, yeah, because you talk about, you know, how how loved, you know, you felt as a child, you know, in, mm-hmm. you know, in your, in your motherland, right, your fatherland. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And how, you know, going, you know, when you went back to Canada, it was like cold and it was like, and you, oh. you, you know, like just that whole experience of, the weather, you know, like what's what's, yeah. what's no right? <laughs> it was it yeah. was. Let me tell you, it was shocking. It was definitely shocking to the system for sure. As a nine-year-old, you know, not only the weather, but just culturally, it was mm-hmm. just so different. There was nothing. I don't think I could have, you know, at nine years old, mentally prepared myself for for the culture shock that I was about to experience. Um, mm-hmm. But we are resilient human beings. And so, you know, I found like within within three weeks, I lost my Jamaican accent because I just wanted oh. at that age, I just wanted to fit in, you know, I just wanted to assimilate. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely given me a, a, a unique perspective on, having lived in Jamaica, having lived in Canada, and having lived in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I think, um, you know, so you think about 
revolutionaries, you know, you are from the land of revolutionaries. Yes. (laughs) I mean, I think about, you know, Marcus Garvey and Annie, you know, Nanny and, um, you know, Bob Marley. I mean, it's like, yeah. I know. I I just recently just been thinking, you know, it's such a small island, but like you said, just so many great people have come out of that small island and revolutionary. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, uh, different people who think differently and want to change the Mm -hmm. world. Um, So, yeah, it's it's interesting. It's something that I'd like to explore more and to understand maybe a little bit more of the history there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because even like the Haitian Revolution, I think um, Bukman was um, Jamaican. You know, he was in Haiti, mm. but he was Jamaican. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, the sister, um, you know, the um, the healer, you know, Mom Fatiman, um, I think she's Haitian. Mm-hmm. And together they are the ones that, you know, sort of, you know, pray to the uh, the African deities and like, and say, yeah, we like, we're done. Like, we are like taking a stand. We are done with the slavery crap. <laughs> yeah. We are going to, you know, we're going to like have a revolution and, you know, be free. And yeah. yeah, yeah, and then you think about um, uh, I think I think he was from there, um, former uh, Stokely Carmichael, Kwame Ture, um, who started yes. um, All African People's Revolutionary Party and went to Howard University. He's is he yeah. Jamaican, right? I believe his roots are Jamaican, and yeah, yeah, it's like um, yeah. <laughs> I just watched uh, recently, about a month or so ago, uh, Small Acts. Did oh, you watch yeah. that? Mm-hmm. And, and and interesting, like a, a lot of the, I don't remember the first, I think it was the first episode and I'm totally blanking on the, the group of them. But, but again, they were, you know, fighting against the racism that was happening at the time. And I believe at least one or two, they had Jamaican roots and mm-hmm. uh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, so in in closing, I'm wondering if you want to share any um, any any lessons learned um, in the industry. Uh, you want to share any um, other films you mentioned? This was not your first film. Uh, anything you're working on mm-hmm. um, that um, people can look for, and definitely give everyone your website. Oh yeah, sure. Um, well, I think what I've just learned from being in the industry so long is, you know, is it takes a lot of persistence um, to keep going despite any obstacles or setbacks and challenges because there are a lot of them. And oftentimes people kind of get, they get deterred by that and they just give up on what is their dream because of those setbacks. So I always, what I've found to be um, successful for me is, partly why I do create these projects, which are more for me passion projects than anything, is mm-hmm. to be able to express at times where I may not be given the opportunity by someone else, but to create the opportunity myself. And I think now more than ever, you know, with technology, folks have the, it's at their fingertips, the means to create it, you know, with iPhones and and. DSLR cameras and all the different cameras that are much more accessible now. The equipment is there, so I say go make your make your art and and don't let those expressions sit within you and not come out somehow. 
Um, right now, I'm, you know what, I'm finding a lot of joy. I've actually been doing some interviews myself where I am the interviewer and interviewing women of color. Um, a lot of them I've been doing on the platform, uh, Women in Film, and for the black uh the Black Member Forum, and I'm getting a lot of satisfaction in that in allowing other women of color to tell their stories and to shine. I really enjoy that, and I have some other creative ideas that I'm I'm writing that are kind of percolating right now. But I know there's there's something else coming, and and it will be expressed. I just don't know in what form yet. Um, so that's kind of what I'm up to. That's the advice that I would give is just carry on and, and make your make your stuff. Don't wait for anyone to give you permission to create an and mm-hmm. my um my website is uh the Ingrid Rogers I N G R I D R O G E R S dot com. And you can also find me I'm um on Instagram at the Ingrid Rogers dot com. Okay, super. Well congratulations, you know, for um you know, as your film, uh, Liberate, as a selection in the Women's Voices Now Uh, Film Festival. Yeah. Thank you. I'm very excited about that. Mm -hmm. Very excited. It's my first time participating, and it looks like a wonderful festival, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does, it does. And and certainly, you know, stay in touch. Um, Would love to, um, you know, keep track of of your work, and, uh, yeah, let me know and and support you in your work as well. Thank you so much, Wanda. I really appreciate that. Thanks for giving me the the space to be part of the conversation today. Oh, you're quite welcome. It's been really lovely. <laughs> so I'll see you at the movies next week. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. <laughs> All right, you take good care. Peace and blessings. You too. Same to you. Right. Bye bye. You're welcome. Bye. Sister Mahasan, how are you? Assalamualaikum. Oh, alaikum So, Sister Mahasan D. Shamsuddin, playwright uh, um, and uh, producer, writer for this wonderful film, Carrying the Load, The Life and Times of Sister Claire Muhammad. That's sort of where I enter into your career and into your creative <laughs> life. And, and it was just so marvelous last night talking for hours about, wow, you're just like, you know, such a maker, right? A creative person, like... Yeah, it was part of your the formation of your of your of your cells at a DNA level. It seems like. Oh well, all of that is from God alone, right? But uh, if I enjoyed talking with you last night as well, and I was looking at your resume, I'm like, whoa, this is somebody to know. <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna read your bio just to make it a little faster, and then we're going to talk about okay. this wonderful film that people can see uh, because you videotaped it, and so people can watch it um, this week and maybe next week, um, but certainly this week, um, and, and it just really, you know, shares the story um, of this wonderful, wonderful woman, Sister Claire Muhammad, who believed in um, uh, the importance of education, particularly um you know, of, of black children, of African-American children, at a time when the public school system, which hasn't changed much, was doing it a disservice. I mean, they were, like, not teaching our children to think for themselves and to be um, be free people. And uh, 
And so and so the story of, you know, this, you know, sort of developing these independent schools for black children that didn't necessarily have to be members of the Nation of Islam or Muslim is a story that prior to seeing your your um your play as as I, I mentioned, I had known even though I went to Muhammad University of Islam. So I'm really looking forward to our conversation about about you how, how came to to know this story and and you know and write it up and and share it with you know um, the audience that you shared it with when you you know had these these live productions and now sharing it you know extending it to a larger audience those of us who weren't able to be in those those public spaces. So um, you published and um, you're a published author online and in academic journals, you're a poet and playwright, with plays performed, staged, and or read in the United States, Europe, and the Middle East. Um, you're a regular presenter in the Acts of Faith Festival. Um, your first major production, One God, was translated into Arabic, Spanish, and Malay, and filmed by the local PBS uh, station in Arizona. And pres- in Arizona is where you were you were born and raised, although you're not there right now. <laughs> and um, and one guy was presented in private in uh, in private to audiences, a private audience to the late King uh, Fahd of Saudi Arabia. Wow, I bet that was really something. That was. That really was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, a lot of people have a place presented before a king. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, a longtime board member of the Islamic Writers Alliance, um, you are you are also artistic director of Woven Orbits and a member of African Women Playwrights and International Center of Women Playwrights. You have won numerous playwriting and poetry contests. You've had short stories and poetry included in several books, and your poetry has been featured in Aziza magazine. Um, you've had articles printed in the Muslim Journal and had scholarly articles included in the Journal for Islamic Studies and Culture. Uh, you are artistic director of Woven Orbits uh, Theater, where a list of your plays presented include uh, Carrying the Load, The Life and Times of Sister Claire Muhammad, which we will be speaking about today, This Truth, A Great Echo, <laughs> A Story of the Largest Uprising in the Americas Led by Muslims. Is that the one in, in uh, Brazil? That you were telling me about? Yes. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Yeah. Who doesn't know, right? You don't hear about Muslims in Brazil, and particularly warrior women, right? Because this this uh this (laughs) uprising was led by a a woman, an African woman in Brazil. Yeah. Yeah. I know. You told me. (laughs) 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 Uh, (laughs) Yeah. And another, uh, I guess I don't know if this is a play, but sixteen of nineteen reasons why my soul has grown deep. It's a presentation. Commemorating 400 years in the Americas. Did you do that um, in uh, in 2019? Yes, I did it in 2019. Um, uh, where? I got, I, actually, I did it free at the um, the main Richmond uh, Public Library. It was just mm-hmm. uh, Virginia in general was doing things to commemorate that um, event, and so that was mm-hmm. my contribution. And it was a combination of um, spoken word. Uh, poetry and film, you know, the artists came together and, you know, it's a nice uh, vignette. People, uh, that one, uh, maybe because it was free, we just completely filled up the uh, area 
and people really gave the artist a standing ovation at the end mm. because it mm-hmm. was, you know, something is even better than you thought it would be because the actors were feeding off of the audience. It was, mm-hmm. uh, I had that on film too, so maybe I'll throw that up. Oh. <laughs> yeah, you should. That would be really great. Yeah, because I was at the, uh, the 400 Years of African American Return, um, you know, there at the um, uh, Fort Monroe uh, National Monument that that weekend, you know, the 20, well, the, I guess it was 23rd, 24th, 25th. Hmm? Yes. You yeah, yeah, I was there. And we could have, yeah, yeah, because, um, yeah, we, yeah, we could have, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it was just really marvelous, you know, with Common and the Voices of, of Blackness that Saturday, you know, evening, you know, mm-hmm. at the big concert. But, you know, what I really liked, and, and I'm glad you, you mentioned it, the, uh, Richmond, Virginia, was, um, you know, when the governor of Virginia, you know, who had, you know, made that major, um, you know, faux pas, uh, you know, that, um, and people were calling for him to resign from his office, mm-hmm. you know, all the things he set in place, you know, to um to show, you know, um with with tangible changes in the legislation. Um yeah. how he you know, he was really sorry that he said what he said. Cuz you know racism is something, you know, it's like you breathe it. It's like in the air, right? And right. and if you're a white person, I'm like, man, they should have been masking way before us, right? I'm talking about figuratively. And spiritually. Right. <laughs> but they don't have to notice right. it, right? And then now since, you know, with the hypersensitivity and and the the way that we have so many ways to capture um, you know, whatever people say, it's not like you can say it and it you know, no one will ever know. If you say anything and you are a person who's in a public platform, somebody's probably recorded it. That's true. So now. it's gonna come back. That's very true. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, yeah. So when I was just thinking about that, because someone was mentioning how um, having someone resign is not always the best, the best um, antidote for yeah. for when somebody um, you know makes a mistake. There, there, you know, because because he still has the power, he could do all these things. Because remember when he was naming. And I, I, it's been like it has. It's been two years ago, so I don't remember everything he said. But he was naming all of the different, like the stuff that was happening in the schools and the things that were happening mm-hmm. in the economy, so that black people could have better, you know, opportunities to be able to make more money in their careers and in their, with their labor. I mean, it was just like he was just hitting everything. I'm like, whoa, this is really, <laughs> really, really good. <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, I lived through it, so. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, but uh, yeah. I think everyone tries to give themselves an opportunity to redeem themselves. I think for him it was a growth experience. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. You know, because racism, it permeates the, uh, permeates America, like you say, it's in the air, that at the time that he was in blackface, he probably uh, didn't even realize how insulting it was. It's more like a, a college prank in his mm-hmm. mind at the time. As he grew, he knew that it wasn't, but as a youngster, because it's so pervasive, then I don't think that he even thought about it because he doesn't seem to have the type of character the way you see some people with, uh, like the folks that stormed the Capitol, where it's very deliberate and this is what I need to do. Mm-hmm. Right, right, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, redemption. Mm-hmm. Yes. And and you have an upcoming project, and it's uh, Breathless. You have two yeah. that you list here, but I'm sure you have many more. But you know, you, you know, you were thinking about space. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. okay, well, yes. I want the woman to actually talk to me, so I can't like put all my whole life here because you are just like I'm sure. Like every time, you, every day, you probably have a new idea. Um, anyway, and then the other one is monumental colors for the 2021 season. So that's coming up. Um, I don't know about breath less, um, but we were talking about some of your projects. So again, welcome, 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 Sister uh, Mahasan. Thank you. And uh, yeah, so tell us about Sister Clara Muhammad and this wonderful work and how people can see it. Okay, so um, this last weekend was uh, Savior's Day weekend, and so. Um, I thought it might be a good idea to uh, finally share the Sister Clara Muhammad uh, play online um, YouTube at my Woven Orbit YouTube channel. And the uh, particular video is actually a video of a live play that was done about five years ago. And it was part of the uh, Richmond Acts of Faith Festival. So it, you know, it ran for, you know, I guess four or five days um, I can't remember how many days it was, but it ran, and uh, we filmed a couple of um, a couple of the performances. And the play had taken me a long time. It really took me about uh, nine years to get that play where I wanted it to be. And we're trying to make it, or I attempted to make it, as authentic as possible as far as with the nuances and the information, because this is a play about someone's life. The most remarkable thing I want to say about the play that was very difficult to do, but I did it, was nowhere in the play does the Honorable Elijah Muhammad appear. And other people who reviewed the play, other playwrights, you know, before I put it out there, every last one of them came back and they said, how can you write a play about Susan Prayer Muhammad and not have, you know, this brother in it? And I said, it's because it is about Sister Claire Muhammad that he is deliberately not given any scenes because when you write plays, other people are going to produce it. And another director or producer might become hyper-focused on Elijah Muhammad and therefore downplay Sister Claire Muhammad. So the best mm-hmm. thing to do to eliminate that, and this is something that a lot of women playwrights you know, struggle with, is like how can we make sure that the woman character is the star that her story is told, and she's not an afterthought in relation to the man. So this play is not to declare as the afterthought who she is as Elijah Muhammad's wife, but who she is as Clara uh, Evans Poole Muhammad. And mm-hmm. uh, that part took a while to, you know, configure that, you know, so that that didn't happen, you know, how it developed in the future. And, um, you know, my own um, experiences and then uh, interviewing years ago, but I've always been a writer, even as a young person, uh, interviewing um, sisters who knew Sister Clara Muhammad and, and sisters and brothers. Um, when I, I'm actually born in Colorado, but then I moved to uh, Arizona. And in Arizona, down with Elijah Muhammad, he has uh, a house right there on Violet Drive. 
And as a child, um, and as a young person, even as a teenager, in years, when I lived in the area, we, you know, we lived in the area, they were welcoming uh, people, so we would be at their house and in their living room or, you know, in their kitchen and downstairs in the basement, right? So this was just the access that um, we were given because of their particular welcoming nature. And as I grew up, uh, up and I was a young woman in my 20s, and by then, both Donald Elijah Muhammad and Sister Muhammad had passed away, and my sister had um, gotten married, and she was in Chicago, and I went to visit her, and her husband had become displaced. Um, and so they were, for I guess a week and a half, uh, staying in the uh, lower level of uh, Sister Sahida. Uh, um, my food, and <laughs> as it turned out, this sister was the one of the first principals of the Muhammad University of Islam back in Detroit. And so when I went to visit my sister, right, the sister started talking to me, and I was like, "What?" And then I remembered, you know, the things as a child, and then going back and forth to the house, and seeing that the caretaker, Sister Frances Queen, was a caretaker. Her and Brother Albert, they were caretakers to the house so that they would say, when we come over, and Sister Karen Muhammad, by then, as we got older, of course, she had passed away. She was telling us how we need to behave and sit, and if Sister Clara was, was present, this is what she would expect of us. And so I already had these stories in my head about Sister Clara, and then when I met this sister, who was a close friend of uh, Sister Clara Muhammad, then I, you know, she just started talking about it. Right, because my um, my brother-in-law, I guess, was volunteering at the uh, the school, you know, to teach on the weekends. And when she started talking about it, it's almost like a light bulb went off. And then I was uh, in my late twenties, and I said, "I'm going to write this story." I and, and you know how you just put it, it, you know, put it on the shelf, put a pen in it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it's coming, right? It's coming. And so I did. I put a pin in it, and then I started just doing research. And at that time, there wasn't as much. Since then, I've seen quite a few more books and theses that have been written by sisters and brothers who are looking at that history and recording what has gone on on the dissertation level. So there's a lot more information than when I first started. But it did allow me to, in an artistic form, start to develop that story, and I think that what really got me was when the sister said, back in those early days, when she was teaching her children at home, the police came to the door because they were trying to remove her students, and I said, well, I think I've heard that story before, and she said, well, what you didn't know was that our community was, at that time, very small, not like the way it is now, where there's thousands of Muslims. So then you were just talking about a few, uh, you know, maybe a hundred or so Muslims. But even with that, they were uh, willing and were arrested and uh, put in jail, including on Elijah Muhammad. But that did not make Sister Clara Muhammad afraid. As a matter of fact, that's when she got it firmly in her mind, we're going to establish some schools on our own. And that's what Mm -hmm. she did. 
And of course, like yourself, you were saying that you yourself graduated from Muhammad University of Islam, that uh, for a while, I mean, there was a time when there were hundreds of them. Um, now, those schools that are in the Sikhar Muhammad um, Consortium and the Muhammad University of Islam, right, there's fewer of them, but the ones that exist are perhaps better equipped. Um, they're, you know, they're accredited, they're larger, right? You know, they're more modern day um, than they were was before. We had a period of time where people, you know, maybe at the temple or at the mosque, then they would just have a small school that meets the needs of the people. But meeting the needs of the people, it did, because a lot of scholars, I'm looking at your resume, I said, this is very educated, all right? Very, very educated. All right, and a lot of brothers and sisters who had that education as their foundation, because it is a it is a fact that when we teach our own, we come out better for it. It is just a fact because our teachers are concerned about us. They're going to make sure that we get that information. They're giving us that discipline and that guidance, and that's not something that the public school day, right? And mm-hmm. at that time, the public school. You know, during Jim Crowism, um, the the children, the Muhammad children, they were going to school there. They were going to school in the cold and the drafty. They would have one heater in the room. The kids are all right. They literally had rats and stuff in the building, and um, naturally, that was completely unacceptable. There is no one who wants their child to be educated in that manner. No one, right? So um, she is, of course, the pioneer and the Muhammad University, Claire Muhammad School System is the first and longest running African American uh, parochial, so to speak, uh, school system in the United States. Right, because it's been continuous since the '30s, and um, that is not the main message, but it is kind of the main message for the Sister Claire Muhammad. Uh, Story, the part that was presented, you know, because it's actually a full-length play, but we only really presented the first act, right? The uh, second act, you know, when the load gets heavy, deals with Sister Clara Muhammad being older and, you know, so the things that she went through really run into nations of Islam, right? But it's still her story. Um, mm-hmm. I find that when we present it, most of the time, I always have a talk back. If I have a talk back and people, they want to know about the school, you know, where the idea came from. I had a few people who, um, senior citizens, are like, oh, you know, this takes me back. And, uh, one brother asked me, he said, well, how did you get the nuances? I said, we get the nuances because part of it is stuff that we also lived, right? And then part of it is the things that we're researching to make sure that we get the nuances because anytime you're doing a uh, artistic presentation about someone who actually lived. You want to do as much justice. Obviously, you're taking artistic license, but you want to do as much justice to that person as possible. And uh, that was my intention. I said, I want people to know this sister's story, who she was, and how much of an influence she has had on Muslim Americans, mm-hmm. and that's just it in a nutshell, the influence of this one woman on Muslim Americans. Um, sometimes I get a little choked up when I'm talking about it, because <laughs> it's close to me, right? And it's right. an absolute yeah. honor 
to be able to do something that um, yeah, I'm connected to it, right? I'm connected to the story, but I mean, I was a student who went there, and then years later, I was um, a teacher, you know, teaching there, and then years later, I was a parent who had children there. So mm-hmm. for us, I mean, for me and my family, it's just been a, a circle. It's like there's nothing about this particular school system that we do not find beneficial. And I come from a family where all of my brothers and sisters, all six of us, graduated from college. I and my children, mm-hmm. all six of my children, I mean, all three of my children graduated from college and everybody's moving to higher education, right? So it's a proven method that shows that if you have this kind of foundation, it creates that curiosity in you to be your best self. And mm-hmm. that's uh, what I think Sister Sarah Muhammad wanted. She wanted to take these seeds that were planted into the minds of black children because when she took 400 or was able to convince 400 um, black children, right, left the public school system and came mm-hmm. to the buildings that they had there in Detroit to be basically homeschooled, right, or private schooled by these members that were, and that wasn't even called the nation to do something, but this nation of Muslims, 400, that is a lot of children. And yes. those weren't all Muslim children. Those were African-American children who said, parents and families just said, look, the Detroit public school system is not doing right by us <laughs> in any way, and therefore we're going to trust our own. And a lot of people who migrated up to Detroit at that time were, of course, people from the South. And so the South people, you know, we understood freedom school, right? And we understood uh, putting our place, our children in a place that would make them safe, right? And where the people that are teaching them care about them now and what they can and will be in the future. Right. So even that, that's just an awesome story. Because when the first time that it resonated with me, 400, 400 is not 40. 400 doesn't all fit in one room, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that means they all up, all up and down this building. You know what I mean? Every room right. is full of children being taught, right? It's like, whoa. Mm-hmm. I mean, I actually started making a whole play of just that, but I couldn't get the nuance. I said, oh, man, this is going to take a lot to get the nuances for that to be, you know, in the 30s in, you know, this building in Detroit and this uh, whole scene. So that, that has to be a future project because when people come to that, I want them to feel it. I'm like, what? Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, I can see how that was and how beautiful. All right, let me take a pause. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was just thinking, um, you know, because it was it was a real fight, you know. I mean, you really you do capture um, uh, how the state was against, you know, black parents uh, taking charge of their children's education. It was as if you're not free. You know, we know what's best right. for you. We're real paternalistic and disrespectful. You know, when you, that scene where, you know, you have the person from the school board or the school district coming to her apartment and just walking around like he owns it, and then he sees, you know, one of the children, the I guess the eldest, Emmanuel, and says, you know, we're going to get right. him and get all these other children, and we're going to take them from you, and we're going to throw you and your husband in prison, um, mm-hmm. you know, because you are not uh, submitting you know, to our our right. uh, demands, 
And she's like, no, you are not taking our children. We are going to educate our children. And then just the creativity, you know, when, you know, the family had, and I don't want to spoil the story, you know, but, you know, when when um, Sister Claire Muhammad and her husband had to leave because they were being persecuted um, mm-hmm. and and the government, you know, shut the schools down, what they did, right? And I'm just thinking, right. you know, so that whole idea of homeschool, it didn't start. It didn't start with COVID nineteen, right? Um, no. <laughs> it it started you know a long time <laughs> before the independent black school. A lot of times, people don't really sort of recognize the Muhammad University and Sister Claire Muhammad schools as the foundation of that. Right. Um, you know, I, I and and also and, and making it legitimate, right? I mean, they look. You know, Sister Claire Muhammad School. You know, the name that Muhammad University of Islam, you know, was changed to by her son, um, you know, um, Imam Warthi Muhammad, um, you know, they legitimized this. And then, and then, you know, we have, you know, the Black Panther Party, you know, the school, you know, that they right. had. But Sister Claire Muhammad School precedes that by a, a, lot, by a lot of years, right? <laughs> Right, by good 50. And really, when yeah. I was talking to um, Sister um, Kahida, right, mm-hmm. she, because we were talking about the school, and she mentioned um, that one of the reasons why Imam Muhammad wanted to name the schools after his mother was because mm-hmm. of the things that his mother went through to establish the school system. Mm-hmm. And, yes. um, that kind of resonated. I said, "What? What did she do with this?" She, you know, she started saying, "Well, see, what she was doing was right." Now, this was a woman who herself really, I guess, that the most had will be considered a high school education, but she still sat her children down at her table and started to teach them. And it also shows how, as African Americans, how we begin to network. Okay, so maybe I don't know trigonometry and calculus, but I can find somebody who does and have them volunteer and have them teach the children because the students that were in the school were not all toddlers, right? They basically taught children from three um, mm-hmm. up to uh, teenagers, right? Um, high school age children, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, and that is a lot. Um, you know, if you ran out of town and the police are looking to lynch you or, or do something and your response is, oh, okay, uh, so we're going to do it over here now. <laughs> mm-hmm. right. you know, that takes a lot because <laughs> yes, yes. my response would be, oh, okay, I'm, I'm scared. Her, her response was, oh, okay, so we're going to do it over here. Well, we were over there on third street, <laughs> now we're going to go over here on the third. <laughs> and that, mm-hmm. that's a, a, a lot, right? And even more so when you think that when she's saying it, oh, okay, we're just going to do it over here, her husband had been put in jail. So she's doing this knowing full well. She doesn't even have the backing of her husband to meet the people at the door and fight them. She's like, meet me at the door because this is happening, and I'm just going to move down here now, all right, and, mm-hmm. you know, deal with it. All right. So that's a, right. that's a strong sister. She's a little sister, but she's a strong black woman. Yeah. How how tall was she? Tell me, tell us sort of, you know, her, her um, stature, like, was she short? You know, uh, yes, yeah, she was short, um, mm-hmm. brown-skinned, and uh, I just kind of only, you know, because my recollection of her is as a young person, so when I saw her, she, you know, appeared old. <laughs> I don't know if she really was old. When you think 
children perceive anybody over 30 years old. Like, oh, right? Right. <laughs> I was just in the lane. But, <laughs> but she was, uh, you know, slim, um, very ladylike, and she had a, uh, a rich voice. I do remember that. Just the voice. I think that's probably the only thing it's like an echo in my mind. I can't even remember what she said, just that I remember that um, rich voice that she came from, uh, you know, that came from her. And I guess, um, you know, there's many brothers and sisters in the United States who um, probably could speak on that better than me. Folks who are older who are uh, in their presence with children just have a certain kind of recollection. Uh, one thing is that um, there's sometimes when we think about Donald Elijah Muhammad and Sister Farah Muhammad, you know, they came from very humble beginnings, right? And then they worked hard. They brought that work ethic and they brought that understanding of Islam was a new religion that wasn't relying on some things that perhaps they felt um, weren't as good for the African American community at that time. That uh, when you see these these people as an example. All right, what we should be, the one thing that they always were, and for the past because they're from the South, was welcoming, right? Because look at the access that I had to these people's homes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. Just because That's I true. lived in the area, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. You know, right? And I think a lot of times, you know, there's stars in their mind, and at this particular time, for me, because um, I'm born in the 60s, at this time, they uh you know, you're going to the 30s, 40s, or 50s, the life of is out, the plant is growing, it's big, and right? Um, and that was happening, um, you know, in the early 70s when uh, I was in their home. So it's like a lot of times, so at this point, they're literally superstars. And even as superstars, they are still have this, you're part of us, uh, you can come, I'm going to serve you. Right, here's some pie, you know, this kind of thing. And this is this is the type of graciousness that uh she attempted to pass on uh to women who were part of the nation of Islam with her own uh, graciousness. And a gracious woman she was, for sure. Mhm. Right, right. And and I was telling you, um, you know, um as you know, we bring our conversation um this this you know, because we're going to have other conversations, but this one, <laughs> to, to a close, um, I, I was, because uh, I know you're at work and on lunch, um, we were talking about how, you know, uh, Sister Claire Muhammad, when she was, you know, Claire Evans, um, she eloped, you know, with, with uh, yes. you know, um, Elijah Poole. Um, and I was thinking maybe her, her family didn't uh, necessarily approve of the, um of the marriage of their their daughter, and and I thought, if I remember correctly, that that she was in school still um, when she was eloping, um, but I'm not sure if if I heard that correctly. And and then later on, when we see them in in Detroit, because it was really hard for the family, um, you know, to make a living in Georgia, and so you know, as as a lot of black families did, you know, they migrated uh, a little further north north south right to detroit right. <laughs> and um and and um and the family was still struggling only they had now they had this really horrible cold weather you know to try to <laughs> weather you know as as you know they tried to feed the children and clothe them and and it was really tough 
on on you know Elijah um, pool at that time, and um, right. and and he he drank, and, right. and meanwhile you know Sister Clara uh, Muhammad well Clara you know Evan, Evans pool at that time, you know she was just trying to like um, make ends meet and still support and she still loved her husband but, and she understood you know why he was self medicating right why he was drinking mm-hmm. why. He, why he wouldn't come home because you know he was being emasculated by these these uh, welfare systems, social welfare systems that you know penalize people for poverty, right? Like, okay, right. we want to help you, but we're gonna make you feel like dirt. Um, but dirt's kind of right. I'm kind of like dirt. We're gonna make you feel less than human because you need help. Like what? And it's not everybody that's right. made to feel that way. And it's not like it's coming out of their the people who making people feel horrible. It's not like it's coming out of their pocket. It's not even charity. It's something that that's is true. a government thing. So you know, mm-hmm. I never quite understood that. But that's you know, that's sort of like you know, the racism and the and the dehumanization of of, of black people. That's sort of a part of the architecture of this nation. Um, but she still was like, you know, supporting him. Like, you know, like and and then they had friends, you know, that would go get him and bring him home and. It was just like, you know, that whole complexity of the relationship. You show, you really show that, and you could have skipped all that because I didn't know this. But you didn't skip it. Yeah. Well, I thought it was integral to understanding the character of this sister, mm-hmm. right, because look how uh, understanding she was. And it was true that his family, um, Elijah, Donald Elijah Muhammad's family, were considered what they call poor dirt farmers, whereas... Mm-hmm. Clara's family, they owned land, and they just really didn't want to, you know, the family was against it. And so that is the reason why uh, they eloped, amongst other things, right? But showing the struggle also shows the transformation, because um, Detroit, they expected things of Detroit, and we were disappointed. And this is the story of our people who left the South and went north. We expected jobs and respect, and what we got was ghettos and unemployment, all right? And so that's our story. And so how do you respond to that? Okay, so then we show how this is the response in real life, right? This is how she responded. And then that message that, you know, they heard on Hastings Street, (laughs) how much that changed her husband and therefore changed their whole lives, and by doing so, because I, and also I did not want to, um, I could talk about it, but I wasn't really comfortable actually representing the Honorable Muhammad in that state, right? Yeah. Um, you can talk about it and then show the trans, you know, uh, show through the themes how we evolved out of that. But it is a story of hope because anyone who's looking at that can see that no matter how dire or uncomfortable your circumstances are. When you have the right message and reinforcement and support from people, you can literally raise yourself out of the gutter to become whatever it is that God has meant for you to be. And those particular scenes are meant to relay that particular message that, um, you know, the, uh, the future of any man, a strong man, is going to be strong because of what the support he gets from his woman. A very strong man recognizes and knows that his woman is supporting him, and that's what pushes him forward. A weak man is like, oh, you know, you're not doing enough or whatever. 
right? But look how this sister and her husband, how they changed um, the history. People are in, not just on Wikipedia, the history of America. They, uh, a number of years, I think in the 90s, the uh, Pew Research uh, did a survey and they found that 73% of um, African American Muslim people that consider themselves Muslims are somehow rather affiliated with that one movement. Okay, mm-hmm. 73%. That is a huge amount of people, right? And folks mm-hmm. like my family, where we have generational Muslims, you know, three and four generations, you were able to return us to something that had been taken from us just by bringing that message and bringing it at the time. And I also feel like what I attempted to do in the play was put things in perspective because some people don't understand the message of the nation of Islam. When you see this play and you see it from perspective, then it starts to light bulbs go off like, oh, wait, okay, wait a minute, I see that now. And a lot of times when we've had our talkbacks, the people in the room have expressed that. They say, you know, when you put it in perspective, some of the things that I've heard or seen, I thought now that makes more sense to me as to how that developed. And that's, um, you know, art allows you to do things that lecturing sometimes can't do because people close their mind. But in art, you're being entertained and educated at the same time. Right. That's so true. And and like I mentioned, um, you know, because you uh, – and and I had noticed until you to you stated it earlier in our conversation that you never showed uh Sister Claire Muhammad's husband, you know. Mm-hmm. Now I'm realizing Muhammad and I'm like, that's so true. Um, because mm-hmm. yeah, then that would have shifted the focus from her to him. And I thought mm-hmm. it was really interesting, you know, that that he, that, you know, trying to help figure out how to help him feel um in more control of his life. You know, when she heard about this man speaking, you know, and he would pay you to come hear him speak. You know, it's like, wow, mm-hmm. you know, that was kind of cool. And, um, <laughs> but then, um, yeah, but, you know, just sort of knowing the story of, of her husband's, um, you know, um, struggle, you know, around around being a man in America and in and, and right. society, like pushing back on that, like, no, you're not a man. And you know that sign, that the real classic sign of the protest, and the brothers have on I am a man, right? And it's a silent protest. I am a man. They're wearing that sign, and they're walking, I am a man. Um, right. And the whole idea of even to date, you know, the reason why our people are being killed by the police, right, is because our right. humanity is not recognized. And how how long, you know, how long are our elders going to be called, you know, uncle, you know, like for real? Mm-hmm. As opposed to mister? Like really? And and our right. and our and our mothers, you know, called, you know, girl as opposed to ma'am and and missus, you know, or right. or madame or you know, like like how long right. do you have it's to real live? Real. Goodness gracious. Um yeah. <laughs> right. But just, but just you know that that sort of you know showing that struggle and particularly with you know with alcohol you know with with a, a substance and and showing mm-hmm. you know that that's just indicative of the illness that um, you know he was trying to treat right right, um, right. I, you know it, it was just so liberating because there are so many of our our men and women and children that are picking up you know various types of of um, uh, 
different kinds of, of, of medications, you know, alcohol, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. crack, you know, prescription stuff. Right. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. cigarettes even, you know, um, to try to, like, be able to manage this this anxiety and this stress and this grief that being a black person in America kind of brings up, you know, by, by you know, both direct trauma and secondary trauma. You know, when you see somebody being killed that looks like your son, or your or your or your brother, um, you know that affects all of us, right? That it does. Mm-hmm. That it does. Yeah, it is yeah, utterly so, amazing. But uh, yeah, beautiful job. I am so glad that you <laughs> that you, cause you you got it right. You got it, and uh, definitely because I've had a number of people email me and says, "Oh, you know, please." I said, "Okay, um, I'm definitely." Uh, um, you know, just not have it up there for a week. I mean, it's a Women's History Month as well. And um, I usually do things when it's